It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right, away, back, goal! Go, hey! It's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. I got so much going on today, I'm dangerous. I'm going to admit, I've been doing a ton of research today. I've been up for a long time, didn't play golf, and I've just been um, coming up with a lot of stuff. And I want to start today with the word randomness. Randomness. We... As human beings, and if you watch MLB Network, if you really are somebody that is into baseball at this time of year, I know everybody's not, that there are so many people just glued to uh, what's going on with the National Football League. I get it. Nothing's bigger than the NFL. I understand it. I worked in it for years. But if you're following baseball, the word randomness is the word of the day. And it scares the hell out of people. I'll explain. Before that, Sarah Lang from MLB.com is going to be here at 1.30. Our buddy Jeff Blum from the Houston Astros at 2. Roxy Bernstein will have to explain how San Jose State and Cal both lost over the weekend. And we'll talk, of course, baseball with him. And Tom McCarthy, voice of the Philadelphia Phillies, the Fighting Phils. They're one of the great stories. They're part of this word of the day, randomness. Randomness scares people. I want to read you the definition of randomness. And I think if you've watched any of the coverage last night, today, this word really puts a bow on everything that's been going on, even though we can't put a bow on it because we got game five tonight between the Yankees and the Guardians, and it's coming on right after us, so that's going to be awesome. 407 first pitch from the big little ballpark in the Bronx. The quality or state of lacking a pattern or principle of organization unpredictability. That is the definition of randomness. And that fits exactly what we are talking about in our sport right now that a lot of people are having a hard time dealing with because they don't like randomness. Once again, 
the quality or state of lacking a pattern or principle of organization unpredictability. Really, the, the two things in this definition, according to Webster's Dictionary or Dictionary.com, is the lack of pattern. I just think a Dodgers right there. Lack of pattern. And the other, unpredictability. Everybody wants it to be predictable. They want to be able to control it. We're a business that is run by control freaks, type A people. They want to control everything that goes on. They want to control everything about the athlete. They want to control everything about the game. What you eat, what you wear, when you show up, how you prep, how you play, what happens during the game. They want to control every at-bat, every moment, and guess what? The definition, randomness, unpredictability. And when you are a slave to this, it can get you far, but it may not give you get you over the hump. And people are freaking out, especially people in L.A., and I'm loving it. I am loving it. I think this is so great. Reading L.A. Times yesterday, I don't know if any of you uh, subscribe, but reading the L.A. Times and trying to figure out once again how the Dodgers – who everybody is going to tell you nobody spends more money on data than the Los Angeles Dodgers. Nobody. They spend so much. Forget just the money on the players. Certain teams spend a lot of money on players. Mets, Dodgers, Yankees. Spend a lot of money on players. But they also spend a ton of money on this data that is supposed to put them over the top. As a business, why would you hire all these guys who have PhDs? They are employing a lot of people with no baseball background. They're data crunchers. They're PhD guys. We've told you that the Dodgers are basically operating their business like NASA. So there's a rocket. We got to get that rocket into space. For the Dodgers, it's the World Series. So they have all these people that work for them. This is what we have found out. That you, as an employee of the Dodgers, you get put in certain departments. So like NASA, you're only working on part of the rocket. Each group works on a certain part of the rocket. Well, for unlike NASA, for baseball, you need to protect your intellectual property. So they've got so much science and data going on with the Dodgers that they put, let's just say, I hire Cody. Cody, do you want to work for me? I'm Andrew Friedman. Uh, yes. Okay, so I hire Cody. I'm going to put Cody in my breaking ball department. And Cody being, I don't know, maybe you went to Caltech, and you're a brilliant scientist guy. You're going to work with science, technology, everything that we have to make all of our pitchers breaking balls better. So you're going to let every guy's different. Everybody's anatomy is different. So your release point is different. Your grip is different. But you're going to take every guy, and you're going to figure out how to make every single guy's slider, cutter, curveball, whatever they throw, slurve. You're going to make every guy's pitch better. And you're going to use the data to give to your pitching coach to give to the pitcher to make him better. Does that, does that make sense? Yes, I'm following along. Okay. So 
I hire you, you're in you're in breaking ball. Then I hire other guys who are in hitting, other guys who are in fastball, other guys who are you're in all these different departments. What really hasn't been told to the public is the fact that all of these departments don't interact. Yes, you're all employed by the Dodgers, but you all don't hang out. You may not even know each other. Why? Because they know that other teams are going to come in, like the A's, and we're going to hire somebody away. So they don't want their intellectual property being poached. So, yeah, you may hire Cody away to the A's, and Cody can bring his knowledge of what the Dodgers do for breaking balls. But he Cody doesn't know the whole system. Only a few people know everything that's going on. The smartest guys in the room. We're the smartest guys. That's who we are. And in the end, what did it do? Their system works. They keep it, – it works in the – in the, let's go back to the definition of randomness, right? Let's go back to the definition. It works in a 162-game schedule where you play every day. Why? Because there's patterns. Remember the definition here. The quality or state of lacking a pattern. What don't you have in the postseason that you have during the regular season? You don't have your regular pattern. And then you have unpredictability. Well, Things are more predictable when you play every day for six months. You get into your groove. You get into a lot of talk about with having the buys, rhythm and timing being broken up. All of a sudden, everybody's in a panic. Oh, my God, we only got five games. It's not fair. Uh, The Braves had their rhythm and timing. Dodgers had their rhythm and timing. Yankees lose today. Oh, their rhythm and timing was broken. It's like, I don't know. What, What do you want to do? You want the wild card teams to play with one hard one hand tied behind their back? I mean, how more how how much more an advantage do you need for having a good record in the regular season? How much how much more do we got to give you? What 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 do we got to do? Do we got to like you get to start every game with a, a two run lead? I mean, I oh play seven games. Well, we can't play seven games. We're getting rain in Southern California for God's sakes. We cannot play well into November. Our sport just doesn't work that way unless everybody wants to go out and get a retractable roof, which I don't think that's going to happen. We can't be playing all – we're not hockey. We're not an indoor sport. We can't play a bunch of seven-game series forever. Doesn't work that way. Or the NBA. So you're going to have a lack of a pattern. So all your technology and all your data and everything that you rely on, like I said, I got all the – I give you all the – I got 20 pages of numbers today of, of more stuff that you could think of. It doesn't matter. All this stuff doesn't matter. You take all of it and throw it out. And to me, it gets back to one thing. And what this tournament now has become, and I think it's awesome, goes back to just get in. Just get in. Just get in. In, And I want to remind everybody. Now, Cody, you and I weren't on the air during the lockout because um, it was smart to keep us off the air. I, I totally agree with that. But, Cody, do you remember what the Players Union was saying about this uh, extended playoffs and how it was in the COVID year? I don't remember exactly, but I'm sure you do. 
Oh, yeah. The baseline. So much of people complaining about baseball, they want to throw in the owners and the commissioner. And there's so many times, if you really, really looked into it, you could blame it on the players. Yeah. The agents and the players. And the agents who essentially run the players who essentially run the players' union. The players' union didn't want this, if you recall. But see, trolls like me remember all this stuff and like to remind you. This beautiful thing we have going on right now, game five between the Guardians and the Yankees, Houston already moving on, Padres, Phillies. You kidding me? The energy in Philly and San Diego? You tell me that's not good for baseball? I'm telling you right now. I, I will have to see how the ratings work, but for like fans, fans, we as fans in different markets, we gravitate to these stories. We love newness. We love something that's different and exciting. Dodgers in Atlanta, we've seen that. Now you just have crazy fan bases right now. They're going crazy in Philly. They're going crazy in San Diego. People are going to gravitate to that because it's new, it's fresh, it's exciting. And as a baseball fan, you go, man, that could be us. Just get in. The Players Union said they did not want to see expanded playoffs because this disincentivizes owners to spend more money. Think about that. You're seeing, if I'm an owner and I'm thinking, man, look at Philly. There is a great picture out there. Well, we call it a GIF. Most likely, or yeah, well, that's a moving image. But if it's a picture, it could it be, a, it a, could be it, a static image. Uh, maybe a, me, uh, a meme. So there is a meme out there right now that I've sent to our good friend Paul Himbakides of ESPN of two girls fighting. Don't condone fighting. It's awful. But it's two girls fighting. One girl's trying to lay a haymaker, and they've got the icon of the Braves and the Mets on the two girls. So, obviously, it's catfight. Off to the side, they have a young gentleman smoking marijuana, watching it, smoking a pipe. And the static image is the, the, the three of them in the picture, but then there's another picture of just him. And it basically says... This is the NL East. You had the Braves and you had the Mets fighting each other. And you got the Phillies off to the side smoking weed, having a good time, just laughing as they're still partying and playing while the two fighting are gone. It's, 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 I think it's hilarious. I'm not promoting fighting. I'm not promoting smoking marijuana. I'm just saying uh, it's on Twitter. It's pretty fun. But it kind of tells the story, right? Here you got the Philadelphia Phillies. They sat back all year long, one loss, one loss, fired their manager. Like I said, they've been like a summer ball team. That got hot at the right time. And the two teams have spent all this money. The two teams that, oh, my God, the, the resources that they have now. The Braves just won the World Series. Mets have the richest owner in baseball. They're gone. They're absolutely gone. 
hey, the Mariners got in. So I forget. I know they got swept and they fought to the very end, but the Mariners got in. There's reason. Hey, just get in. But the players' union said no. I want everybody just to remember that. The players' union said no. They thought this, they thought what you're seeing now, which by the way, I think we're seeing is great for baseball. Is I think it's great for baseball. I haven't seen the ratings. Have you seen the ratings, Cody? Not yet. I mean, maybe they'll they'll uh, put something out after the Yankees Guardian series because everyone's going to see how the Yankees did in the. Uh, that, that, that's what I mean, what's Monday Night Football tonight? Uh, it's the Chargers hosting the Denver Broncos. Chargers hosting the Denver Broncos. That will not be a high-rated game. That is a bad Broncos team and a L.A. Charger team that has no fan base. So you'll get your traditional football watchers, and that's more a West Coast game. Yankees. Okay, I'm not saying baseball is going to beat Monday Night Football. I'm just saying this won't be a massive number for Monday Night Football. It'll be a good number because anything NFL is a good number, even though the games yesterday were horrifically bad. And these Thursday night games have been horrifically, horrifically bad. And Sunday night football has been bad. Football, football so far this season hasn't been great as a product. But it doesn't matter. Football's king. They're going to get the rate. But the Yankees Guardians tonight will get a number. That will definitely get a number. So I'm interested. Once again, the Players Union thought this would disincentivize. Did this disincentivize the Padres from trading for Josh Hader and trading for Soto and Bell? Uh, No, not at all. It actually incentivized them to go out and get them. Nope. Once again, remember what the players wanted. And I'm not even really going to say the players because players in that discussion last year were stooges. It's it's, it's, It's the greedy, 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 greedy agents. They thought this would be bad. I don't know now. I mean, we were get, I can't. We're going to make a list of all this stuff for the winter meetings, because you know no one does the winter meetings like A's Cast Live. We're going to have a list for all these baseball people. We're going to write down some themes for the winter meetings. Does just get in really exist now in baseball? Are all the GMs going to realize I don't have to win a hundred games? I got to win like eighty-eight, ninety-two. I just got to get in. I just got to get in. How about this one? You really want to uh, rip the entire game? If you're the Dodgers. Now, it was a funny, a very funny line. When the Dodgers in the next week are standing over a six-foot putt and thinking about this, basically saying, Dodgers are done, time to go play golf. They going to think about this? I wrote down today. Can you see that, Cody? Uh, hold on. Let me let me check. Uh, your chicken scratch, I can see you have a lot written there. Do you see what that oh, is? Oh, yeah, their contracts. Is that contracts or the relievers? These are the pitchers of the, of the guys who pitched for the Dodgers. I see Almonte, Vesia, what, Phillips? Mm-hmm. Canely, Chris Martin. Canely These Co- are the guys. Once again, you spent millions on players. 
millions on front office. They, I guarantee you, their staff, their payroll of their front office, I would love to know the number. I would love to know the number of full-time, part-time, independent contractors, all the technology and data, all the technology they pay for. I would love to know what it costs the Dodgers a year. Wouldn't you love to know that number? Yeah, especially with how big their research and development and all that is. They have a lot of people encompassed in that front office. So, yeah, I would love to know what they're paying their people to do all this research because it's it's going to be fascinating. I want to know the number that said Tyler Anderson is cruising. Tyler Anderson told the L.A. Times, I got it right here. I could have gone another five. He's dominating. He's five innings, zero, zero runs, two hits, two walks, six strikeouts. So, Cody, he's given you everything you want. No hits and strikeouts. Isn't that what you love? Uh, yeah, that's 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 the name of the game, especially now in the postseason. But the script says, got to get him out because we got to go to the law firm of Martin, Canely, Almonte, Vesia, and Phillips. Do you realize you've spent millions of dollars Millions on technology, millions on front office staff, but you didn't spend you didn't spend millions on the guys actually pitching in a winner take all game. Well, it wasn't winner take all for Dodgers; they had to win to move on. But in a an elimination game, I want you to think about that. Just think about this from a business standpoint. If I own the Dodgers, can I have permission to be the owner of the Dodgers? Uh, they they have like nine owners, so yeah, I'm sure you can be or however many. I'll be owners. managing general partner. I'm not magic because I oh. can't be. Oh, so you don't want to be, ma- you don't be magic? Okay. I'd love to be magic, but I can't be magic. Magic's rich and has a great life. Uh, what it, magic won? What five titles? Uh, that is cur- Uh, yes. Uh oh, hold on. ESPN, you go to ESPN. It takes over. Hold on. Okay, so. I'm the managing general partner, and I sit down with you. I'm not Dave Roberts. I'm not. Dave Roberts is a stooge. The fact that people are talking about Dave Roberts, you think Dave Roberts is making these decisions? Have we not seen over and over and over again this is not Dave Roberts? He's doing exactly what they want him to do. I'm sitting you, Commander Cody. You're Andrew Friedman. I'm going to sit you down. I'm going to go, okay, explain to me. We got the second highest payroll in baseball. We're paying a tax. I've got how much your R&D department costs, your research and data department, and it's costing me millions. I mean, I'm spending how much money on all the technology in the minor leagues. I'm spending all this money on your payroll for your research and development. I'm paying you. I'm paying. I mean, how much do you think Andrew Friedman makes a year? Six, seven mil, maybe eight. He has a pretty good track record coming from Tampa into the Dodgers. So probably. I, yeah, I'm, I'm paying him at least six million. How much do you think? So I'm going to go over the salaries of the guys you threw out there in a must-win game. When you're spending millions of dollars on everything else, this is what you spent to beat the Padres on the road in a do-or-die game. Tell me if this is smart. You know how much Chris Martin made last year? Under a million, probably. He made 2.5, but he was oh. traded from the Cubs. True, yeah. Enjoy that money coming from the Cubs. He's also like 36, too. 
Tommy Canely making $3,450,000. Okay, that's some money. But in our game, under three five is not big money. Coming off Tommy John. What do you think Almonte makes? Like 700000 700000 What do you think Vessia makes? Probably like 850000 Seven twenty. What do you think Evan Phillips makes? Rule five guy, probably around eight fifty. Seven twenty. Wow. So you spend all of this money, and when it comes to do or die, three guys you're pitching at the end of the game make seven hundred thousand dollars. I'm I'm paying you, Andrew Friedman, six to eight million a year. You cost me more than the five dudes you pitched after after uh, Tyler Anderson. You cost me more money. Is that good business? You spent all that money as the Dodgers to basically go cheap with your bullpen and to have those guys have to get four innings. Is that a good business decision? Permission to be Andrew Friedman and retort. You are Andrew Freeman. I'm asking your ass right now. You spent no money on these jokers who lost me the series. Okay, you got to remember here now. You could be Peter Goober, you know, one of the owners of the Dodgers, also owner of the Warriors, a co-owner of the Warriors. Goober's part of that group. You got to remember, we lost Kenley Jansen last year, and we replaced him with four guys that make way under what he signed for with the Braves. So we saved money right there, and we won 111 games. But. I don't you know. Be, wow, you would not be good negotiation. I, I was just trying to. I was trying to channel like the uh, the, the the money you need ball. An agent. I was trying Bro, to. You need an agent. <laughs> I was trying to do the the money ball. We replaced Giambi with three guys. I just <laughs> told you, you went cheap and lost, and now you're trying to tell me how you saved me money. I'm not saving money on you. I'm spending a lot of money on you. President of Baseball Operations, or whatever the hell your well, title our, is. Well, our our best reliever, Blake Trinan, is coming off an injury, and we really couldn't use him. And you know, we told Dave not to use Evan Phillips in Game Four. You have an un, you have an unlimited checkbook. You could have signed. Hey, Kenley's still healthy pitching. I would have took Kenley Jansen over any of these clowns. You're pitching a bunch of guys making seven hundred thousand dollars, and I'm spending millions in research and data so and what, development. What? Sadly, it's the way the game's going anymore with uh, with relievers. Everyone's all these guys are no name, faceless guys. As they mentioned, Kent Rosal mentioned about the Rays. It's a bunch of guys that throw hard, and no one knows, and they none of them make any money. Like the, the the guys that like Kenley Jansen, that works for the Rays because they don't spend money. What I'm saying is, I'm the Dodgers. I'm spending more on my president of baseball operations than I am on the guys throwing four innings in a do-or-die game. I'm probably spending almost as much on my general manager. So between my president of baseball operations and my general manager, they wait. I don't even – what does Tyler Anderson make? Probably only a couple million. I mean, he – let me – I can pull it up real quick. I'm spending more money on my president of baseball operations and my general manager than the actual guys pitching in an elimination game? Uh, Anderson this year – um, made eight million for the Dodgers. I mean, it's almost like Friedman and him are a push. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The breaking news is Bruce Bochy's back. And I know I said I thought it'd just be an interview. Um, I thought somewhere like Toronto would be the place to go. They they re-signed uh, Schneider, right? Yeah, dropped the interim tag. Now he's the manager. I think it's a three-year deal. They were pretty good with with him. I think they went 48-26. and 26. Yeah, he also got lost both games and playoffs at home. You, you also blew a, an 8-1 lead in game two. You have all this talent. Why would – to me, that just reeks of we got a guy who's going to do as a front office exactly what we want. That just reeks of that, but whatever. Uh, Bochi back. Texas Rangers. In our division. Interesting. You know what that does? That brings instant credibility to the Texas Rangers. And if they have the money to spend, like, because that was the thing. They kept telling us that, don't worry, you know, the Corey Seager, the Marcus Simeon, don't worry, that's just the start of what we're going to do here. Now, little did we know that the manager and the president of baseball operations would be fired after that. We're talking about the Ranger people who would come see us here on Ace Cast Live on the field at the Coliseum. They said everybody understood. Ownership understood that this was just the start of things. Well, they couldn't have been more wrong. Because they fired their their manager and president of baseball opera. I mean, John Daniels had been there forever. He'd been there since he was twenty four years old, for God's sakes. So they dumped. They just they 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 were angry ownership, and they dumped these guys. Bring a Bruce Bochy in. You got Chris Young, former pitcher, former Princeton basketball player, six ten, uh, who pitched for Bochy back in the day. You got Bruce Bochy coming in, and to me, that brings you instant credibility. Why? Well, you're bringing in a guy who has the three rings, and you're bringing in a guy that has done nothing but win in his career. In San Diego, it was either he had a really good team or a bad team. And the good teams that he had, they won. The bad teams, they stunk. I mean, what, what, what can you do? But now Texas becomes a whole different animal. They got money. It's a state with no state taxes. New ballpark. It's a state where your money goes a lot further. A lot further. <laughs> I don't think I don't think ballpark has anything to do with it. Well, I'm saying they, they're playing at a new ballpark. That helps. Really? I don't think. They're all nice ballparks now. So I don't know, it has, Tampa. It has a dome. It has a roof on it, so that helps. <laughs> I don't. I. I. I, I, I the, the ballpark is not a. The, what. What. What happens is is it's a place like we learned with Marcus Simeon. You can buy a huge plot of land. You can have space. You can live in the, all these out neighborhoods outside of Arlington and outside of Dallas. 
and you got no state taxes, you're going to make more. Now you get you get charged by the tax rate of where you play. But what happens is when you play 81 games in Texas versus 81 games in California, plus you know you talk about your your you know we come back and we play in the Bay Bridge series, well they'll play still in Texas. I mean you just make a lot more money playing in Texas or Florida or where Arizona, certain states you just make way more money than others. It's just a reality. And now you add Bruce Bochy to that? And the retractable roof, I say, would probably be the biggest sell more than just the ballpark because all the ballparks are nice. When you've traveled around, I've been to most of the ballparks. They're all nice. I've been to this ballpark. It is very nice. And the roof is great. But, I mean, they're all – I mean, they're all – I mean, unless you're like the old Wrigley, Fenway, Dodger Stadium, Oakland, and Tampa, they're all nice. L.A. too. Angels Stadium. Not a big fan. Dodger Stadium's nice. What's wrong with Angel Stadium? Um, eh. Compared to Dodger Stadium, I like Dodger Stadium more. Okay, but but you, you can't you can't go on it by what you like as a fan in the stands. You mentioned it as a player. Uh, I don't know if people are, are fan players really going to play Angel Stadium because it's beautiful weather every single day. And it's you are perfect. close. You are close to Disneyland if you have kids. You're next to the beach. Yeah, that helps. You're living in Orange County. Yeah, I think helps. lifestyle. <laughs> I think lifestyle. I think wives, lifestyle, weather. Uh, yeah, I think Orange County's not. There, there's a reason why you offer the money. Guys will sign in Orange County. Guys will sign in L.A. Guys will sign in San Diego. Because you know why? It's pretty nice. You know how many rain delays you're dealing with? Yeah, not many. I don't think. I think it's not been many. I think it's been. A but long when time we're talking Angels. stadium. There's nothing wrong with the big A from a standpoint from the players. Do they need a new stadium? Yes. Dodger Stadium. Guys have always loved playing at Dodger Stadium. Petco's nice. They're all nice. And they they keep renovating Dodger Stadium. The only places they're going to like come to, they're going to come to Oakland. They're going to come to Tampa. And they're going to be like, this sucks. Fenway sucks for players. Uh, Chicago, White Sox. Not White Sox. Uh, Wrigley. Wrigley sucks for players. I mean, the, I mean. They've tried to redo the the clubhouses as much as possible, but for the right price, nobody cares. But I think, yeah, the retractable roof doesn't hurt because, you know, you're going to play 81 games. But Bochy going there for the right price, that's not good for us. And that and, and for, for Bochy to re-sign and to get back into baseball, he had to hear what he wanted to hear. Now, I don't know if we've heard, has he spoken yet? I don't think so. Let me see when they're supposed to see if they. I was trying to see earlier if they were going to announce when he's going to introduce, be introduced. Because I got to think, Bochi had to hear. He had to hear the right pitch for him to sign on at his age. What is he? 68? Sixty eight. Sixty seven, I think. For for Bruce Bochi to leave his comfort zone. Living down in San Diego, playing golf and playing guitar and drinking whiskey with uh, Tim Flannery, you had to you you had to sell him because he doesn't want to go into rebuild mode. He doesn't want to he doesn't want to not win. Bruce Bochy wants to win. He wants to win championships. That's the only reason he would come back. So he must believe. I don't know what they got in their system. They're, they got a couple guys, a couple pitchers. They got um, 
uh, Jack Leiter, Al Leiter's son. They got yeah. Kumar Rocker. Got the Vandy guys. They got those guys. They have a couple of hitters in their system that are supposed to be pretty good. Uh, they called a couple of those guys up. Josh Young played up this year. Um, they, they, you've been here for years. They've been building a uh, farm system for the future. They go got. They, they're gonna. They, they have to sell Bochi that they've got money for free agency, and that they're gonna go hard after pitching. And now, you don't have to worry about the pitching being killed in basically the 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 first half of the season because of the heat because you're now indoors and it's more a pitcher's ballpark so pitching will play but whatever whatever he heard from Chris Young the sales pitch Bochi had to buy and to be, and had to believe it's going to work cuz there's no way he's signing on just for money and to go get his brains beat in in uh in Texas there's no way this stat from this article on MLB.com about Brochi is telling about the Rangers. Now, they've been, they went to the World Series back-to-back years with Wash. He's the first Texas manager to assume the role of the previous managerial experience since the team hired Buck Showalter on October 11th, 2002. It's been 20 years since they hired a guy that had managerial experience pr- prior to be- becoming manager of the Rangers. That's pretty – I mean, you, never, you couldn't find a guy that you liked that was that had a previous experience besides Buck Showalter in the last? Well, it's major league managerial experience. Yeah, I mean, you could be a, a minor league manager, yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, which is, you know, a lot of these guys have managed before. So, you know, I I don't think that that's that big of a deal. Well, you, you just hired Mark Kotze. You just had – You had Bob Melvin before that. He had managerial experience. You just had Steve Kerr get hired – and before that, you had Mark Jackson. You had back-to-back guys who'd never even been a head coach. Kerr was a general manager. Never, ever, ever been a head coach. Not at any level. Steve Kerr hadn't coached at all. Hadn't ever, what, had Steve Kerr ever been on someone's staff? Not that I know of, no. Are we complaining about Steve Kerr? He's done a nice job. He's won, what, four titles? So, the fa- uh, I don't know, though. I mean, I have to think. When we head to the winter meetings in San Diego in December, one of the teams that we're really going to be having to look at is the Texas Rangers. Are they going to be major players? Who are the top arms on the free agent market? Uh, Kershaw will be one, and he's from Texas. No, I don't like Kershaw. Really? Uh, Old man Kershaw, that's the best? Well, Verlander. Verlander? No, he resigned. Remember, he resigned a deal. Did he? Uh, Bassett is going to be one. DeGrom might opt out. So there's another guy. Uh, I think Syndergaard's a free agent. Uh, Charlie Morton. So I can overpay for DeGrom to get five, six innings every five days? Well, team's going to give him that. Thanks. Uh, let's see if they have the top free agents. Give me the top. I want – I want if, you, if you're selling me Kirsch, if you're selling me that my top free agents pitching-wise – DeGrom's the number one free agent pitcher according are to this Are DeGrom – Verlander has an op- – he signed a deal, I thought. I thought it was a two-year deal. Maybe he has an opt-out. That's why. Uh, Carlos Rodon, if he opts out, will be a guy. Yeah, Verlander can leave his contract after this year. I think he, sta- I think he stays in Houston, but that's just me. Maybe he wants to go north. Rod- Rodon will be a guy. Let's see. Um, who else is on it? He's a reliever. Kershaw. There's Kershaw on there. Bassett. Kershaw's got so much tread on those tires. Severino. I'd take Severino. How old is he? 28, I think. I'd take Severino in a second. 
Cindergaard, Wainwright, he's going to if he Can you imagine back. getting a guy who's pitched in the pressure cooker of New York and taking him in Texas in his prime? Nathan Avoldi no. from the from the same high school as Nolan Ryan. I mean, he's a, he's not a bad pitcher. What three Tommy John surgeries later? Get a, get a decent year for the Red Sox. You're 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 Manaya. Yeah, we're we're getting t- towards the bottom of the starting pitching market. I don't know what they sold Bochi, but looks like they're going to go out right. I mean, wouldn't you agree? They had to. Would you take Tyler Anderson? He had a I'd, nice year. I take for the I take I take everybody for the right price. <laughs> um, would you agree that there had to be a really good sales job of what they're going to do this upcoming year to get him to take that job? Oh yeah, I mean, are they going to spend money? Are they going to promote these guys in the minors like Rocker and, and Jack Leiter uh, to to be on the team? I don't I don't know. They were both pitching at Double A or Rocker was pitching at Double A and he wasn't doing too well. Well, at some point you got to start. I mean. You got that new ballpark that you you want you you want to take advantage of the new ballpark other than saying you just have a new ballpark. You want to win in that new ballpark. And and it sucked for the Rangers cuz COVID hit, they had the ballpark, couldn't have fans in it. They ended up hosting the World Series. Uh it was just a really horrible situation. Five of their top 10 prospects uh, the Rangers according to MLB.com are pitchers. Rock, Rocker and, and Leiter are up there. Brock Porter. Uh, who else am I forgetting? Uh, Cole Wynn also. So, Boshi, his record in San Diego was 951 to 975. His record in San Francisco was 1052 to 1054 it was two games under five he's under 500 for his career as a manager yeah true what he has 2003 wins or something like that is how many career wins he has but Chris Woodward gone John Daniels gone and the Bruce Bochy era has changed look at the commitments the commitments they made last offseason Corey Seager, 10 years, $325 million. Marcus Simeon, 7 years, $175 million. John Gray, $56 million for four years. Martin Perez, let's not forget about him, who had a yeah, really had a great, nice year. Yeah, nice year. Uh, this has came out according to NBC Sports Chicago. Uh, John Heyman had a report earlier that Ron Washington, I think, was going to interview or one of the guys they want to interview for the job. NBC Sports Chicago. Ozzie Gian is in discussions to return to the team he managed to the 2005 World Series. Ozzie Gian is who you're going to bring back to manage the White Sox. That's that's who we, that's who you want. So watching the Last Dance, it made me think about what's going on in baseball today. And it really was the start. We just didn't know of what was to come. And what made me trigger that was the Jose Gian with Jerry Reinsdorf. Jerry Reinsdorf has been the key, has been the king of really bad decisions as an owner. Uh, bringing back Tony La Russa, bad decision. Thinking about bringing back Ozzie Gian, bad idea. Letting Phil Jackson and breaking up his dynasty, really bad idea. Um, how many championships have the Bulls won since? Uh, let me check. That'd be zero. How many finals appearances have they had? Uh, that'd be zero. Okay. 
where I think you can look, and when you go back to Last Dance, and you might be like, why the hell are you bringing it up? I, I, I'll, 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 there's a good reason why. And I've been waiting to make this point, and I've been trying to tell Cody to remind me, and it just hit me. Watching that, you should have noticed something. You should have noticed the power of Jerry Krause. And that was the start of really what we have today. What do we have today? We have today that the stars of the show now want to be front office people. They want to be looked at as the reason why teams win championships. All you needed to do was either live during that time and you know this, or you saw it during the last dance. Jerry Krause wanted credit. Yes, Michael Jordan's great, but Jerry Krause made unbelievable moves. He made great moves for the first three championships and the second three championships. He was a savvy general manager. And, yeah, they could make fun of him, call him short, call him fat, do all of that, be disrespectful because that's what they were as players. And everybody wants to be, you're all jock sniffers, and everything's about Jordan. One guy just doesn't win. And Jerry Krause signed guys to great contracts. Look how cheap he had Scottie Pippen for, which was obviously a big deal throughout the last dance you got to see. Because I think a lot of you, you just didn't live it, and you didn't know it, and you had never seen it. But, yeah, that was always a big deal. Signing Dennis Rodman was a big deal. Always having these talented big men was always a big deal. Going from John Paxson to Steve Kerr. Well, who made all these decisions? Jerry Krause. Jerry Krause. Jerry Krause is a general manager with six rings. And at the very end, what you see now in baseball, who wants the credit in baseball? Well, you're always going to have to give it to the players, but what have they done with the head coach in baseball? who we call a manager. They've tried to act like he's not the main player anymore. Look what Jerry Krause did. Jerry Krause basically said, hey, man, this is your last year. I mean, Phil Jackson's one of the most accomplished coaches in American sports history, and this guy basically told him, this is your last year. Even though Reinsdorf at the end says, I told, I told, I told him he could come back. Thanks, Jerry. You, you, thank, Jerry, you wait for the whole thing to be over for then to tell Philly can come back? By that point, Phil was, F you, I'm out of here. So what you saw, this was going on in the 80s and the 90s where you clearly see front office wanting credit for what's going on. All these years, front offices stayed in the back. And they gave all the credit to the manager. They gave all the credit to the players. That's what they did. Now, completely different story. Front offices want to be the smartest guy. Front offices want to dictate all the action. They want to control it. It's the closest thing to actually playing the game that you have. You control every moment of it. Now, this is far different from the last dance because they didn't have that. A guy like Jerry Krause didn't have that kind of control back then. They do now in the NBA. 
They definitely do in Major Major League Baseball is scripting out their entire game now. It's ridiculous. And they would tell you you're an idiot for not agreeing with them. The guy who was the smartest guy in the room was Bill Walsh. Bill Walsh would script out the first X amount of plays of a game. Why would he do that? Well, it was pretty simple. He would script it out, and you run these different plays, not only to see what's working right out of the gate for your team, but now you call these different plays, you get to see how the other team lines up as a defense against you. First couple drives, you get to know what are they trying to do against you so then that you can prepare the rest of the game. It's a chess match. Bill Walsh didn't script out the entire game. Why? Because the game changes. Things happen in the game that change. But I'll script it early just to see what they're doing. How do they line up? Well, if we have Jerry Rice over here or we have Jerry Rice over there or we put this guy, we put Jerry Rice over here and we send a guy in motion going that way, we're now going to see how the defense reacts to all that and then we can plan it out for the rest of the game. Baseball now wants to control everything. They want to control the signings. They can want to control every bit of the organization. They want to control the big league level. They want to control who plays, when they play, how they play. They want to control everything. They want the credit. They want to be stars. They want to, you know, back in the day, let's be honest, back in the day, front office people never had shows. You never heard from him. You think there were, like, the general manager shows in the 70s, even in the 80s? Do you, I mean, I never heard of one. You never even, most people didn't even know who their general manager was. Billy Bean, with, with allowing Moneyball to happen, the book and the movie, all the guys that are in the game now, they saw that and went, that's who I want to be. I want to be a star front office guy. Do you think if you're somebody who's in data that you're ever going to be a celebrity? Do you think that? Do you think if you're a data scientist, if you're an engineer, if you're if you're one of the top engineers for let's just say Apple. Apple literally is not too far from where we are right now. One of the most successful companies in the world. Google's over in Mountain View, not too far from here. Some of the most successful companies in the world are not far from where we are right now. With some of the smartest people in the world. They walk into a restaurant, nobody knows who they are. Nobody cares. They're just some random dude. Or female. Dudette. Nobody knows who they are. But all these guys and gals, they saw Moneyball. They saw this Billy Bean. They saw this character. How many of them have said, I saw the movie and I knew that's what I wanted to do? Why? Because Billy's somebody. He's somebody. He's Brad Pitt. He's good looking. Everybody wants to be him. 
So if you're a guy that grew up, you've never played baseball, you can't play, you've got no athletic ability, but you know data and you know numbers, where can you be a star? You can't be a star, Google, but you can be a star for the Cleveland Indians if you're the general manager and you win. You can be a starter. Who's Hein Bloom? If Hein Bloom, this genius that's running the Red Sox, went to work for Oracle, would any of you know who he is? Would he walk through the convention center at San Diego for the winter meetings and have everybody kissing his ass if he worked for Intel? No. But running the bot, this dork running the, the Boston Red Sox is now some baseball celebrity. And everywhere in New England, everybody knows who he is. This, this, you go around right now, and I can talk about this because this is not how our front office is built. This is not who David Force is. This is not who Billy Bean is. They're not, they know what I'm talking about. You think Andrew Friedman is someone anybody would know who the hell he is if he didn't run the Dodgers or care? Would anybody care? Would Andrew Friedman get the attention in his life if he didn't run the Dodgers and he ran some other regular company? This has been an opportunity for all of these data slash I don't even know if they love baseball, but it's a chance for them to be somebody. And I don't, I don't, I'm not going to harp on somebody who, that, who wants to have notoriety, who wants to be known. But with their skill, this is the way. This is the way they can be a player. They can be a pseudo celebrity. You, I mean, if you really realize and you went around to all these front offices and looked at all these Ivy League guys and you look at their background, you can go at all the job postings right now for baseball. It's all for data scientists, not people who've ever worked in baseball. Well, this was the start with Jerry Krause. Jerry Krause was really the first executive who was a non-player. You know, Jerry West was an executive at the time, but he was the logo, for God's sakes. This was a short, little man, no talent from a physical standpoint, who was becoming a star because he was winning championships as a front office guy. And he wanted to get rid of Jordan. He had already won six titles with him. His stardom was, I want to win and rebuild and win it again without Jordan because it was about him becoming somebody. And that's what we have in the game of baseball. That We should have seen it coming. People didn't know. Can you imagine when you, when you were a little kid, you grew up a Pirates fan? Correct. Can you name me one assistant general manager that you remember as a kid? Assistant general manager? Assistant general manager. Hell, I can't remember who the general – well, I remember Dave Littlefield, but prior to that, I don't remember who any of the general managers were for the Pirates. No, no. You know them as you got old. When you were a little kid, you knew who the general manager was? No, no. That's my whole point. Yeah, no. No. They even knew who the manager was. These guys, these guys, I don't even know if they really love baseball, but they have the skill set that baseball's looking for now. So they come in and now they're in the data. They're into you know, they build the team through the data and through all of that. This is their chance to be somebody. Because with their skill set, they would just be working for some company and they'd be regular schmoes like the rest of us. This is their chance. To make good money and to have the lifestyle and to be in pro sports. And when you're a GM, 
Man, everywhere you go, you're the GM of major. There's only 30 jobs. And actually, the assistant GM jobs are pretty damn good, too. Is there anything that I'm saying that doesn't make sense? We know him because we interviewed him on our show. Sig Meidel, who is, who is now the, the assistant GM of the Orioles, was an engineer, or he worked at NASA, and he was a blackjack te- uh, dealer while he was in college. It, it Why did he get into baseball? Because of Moneyball. He, tell, he tells the story all the time. He told us. Man. He got into it because he saw this movie, and he wants to be somebody. Jeffrey Luno, the most probably the most disgraced general manager in the history of sports now, was not a baseball guy. He was a consult. He worked for a consultant consulting agency, and he got into baseball. The big consultant who uh, McK- uh, McKinney McKinsley, I think it was McKinsley. Started with an M. It was McKinsley. I'm pretty sure he worked for them, and then he got into baseball, and now he's out of baseball. And I think he works in like soccer or something. But look what he did. I mean, he wasn't a baseball guy. I mean, a lot of these guys aren't anymore, especially front of, like GMs. And they get into baseball because this is their chance to be somebody. Didn't Farhan work at Google? Like, I, I, I had a conversation yesterday with a student at San Diego State who was trying to get into the business of broadcasting and sports media. And we were talking. I said, look, if you look around baseball, a lot of the people that run teams didn't even go to be baseball people. They were they're engineers or data scientists or rocket science scientists. They, they, not, a, lot, a lot of people anymore, you know, went to school for business and to, be, to get into running a baseball team. Just like a lot of people that do broadcasting didn't school, go to school to be broadcasters. A lot of people get into our business, they get into it for the same reason. They want to be somebody. They want to be known. They want to be on TV. They want to be on radio. Regular jobs, you you don't get to be that person. I've always said what we do is like ghetto celebrity. <laughs> but but that that's where I got from the if you're like, "Well, how did you get last dance?" That's what I I it like the last dance brought that back. The last dance brought back the Oh, God, Jerry Krause. Jerry Krause is what now, or Jerry Krause was what all these guys want to be now. They want the credit. Every GM, these guys want the credit. They want to call managers middle management, and they want the credit. They want everybody to say, Dodgers won 111 games because the front office. Dave Dave Roberts, he's just a puppet. We're the smart guys. We're the reason we won. Look at all the PhDs and look at all the science. Look at all the data. We're the reason why the Dodgers won. What did Jeff Luno call his employees when he when he got in trouble? Lower-level Lower employees. And that's what our game is. And it's so funny, like, how, like, MLB now tries to foster this, and you're like, you, do you really think it's good that Tampa has basically made Kevin Cash, even though he's won manager of the year, which is kind of a joke? That he's just basically middle management? That they script out everything, like every move of the game? It's crazy. Is that what's best for baseball? If it is, so be it. But we don't know because it's kind of still new. And whenever a team flames out like the Dodgers, what's the first thing you do? You have to question, did they outsmart themselves? and cost themselves like they have all the resources they have all the ability to get whatever talent they can get they have it all and yet they keep falling short except for one year why and they make moves that make you go why but they're going to tell you we followed the data the data told us to do this and we're 
And I mentioned it's like blackjack players. You read that blackjack book, and the blackjack book tells you never deviate from the system. Always, always, always play the system. And that's what these teams are doing. But I hope it makes sense. I don't know why you went to our guys, the A's guys. But I hope it makes sense that what I'm talking about is all these guys are not baseball people. They get into baseball. They're going to look at you and say, yeah, because I want to be. But it's really it's their chance to take their intelligence and what they do well and for them to actually be somebody, to be recognized, and to be a pseudo-celebrity. These guys, we're, all these guys are talking about, they're like Jerry Krause. Jerry Krause was the start of all of this. I think you could go back to the non-ever playing general manager who got big-headed and wanted all the control in the world started with probably Jerry Krause. I want to see what he did after Chicago. He's dead. Well, yeah, but he died five. He passed away five years ago. But yeah, he was the bull. He was with the Bulls until '03. They were awful after Jordan left. They got what good. Did do, what did he do? What did he do before the Bulls? Um, let's see. He replaced Rod Thorne in 1985-86, so that would have been like like a year after Jordan was born. Right, he's a scout. Krause worked as a baseball scout for the Indians, then Indians, the A's, Mariners, and White Sox. While working for the Mariners, Krause continued to scout part-time for the Lakers. As a White Sox scout, he, he played a role in the signing of Ozzie Gain and Kenny Williams. He was a baseball scout, going nowhere. And then all of a sudden, built – the Chicago Bulls, he gets a ton of credit. He's one of the great executives in the history of sports. Jerry Krause, but he wanted the credit. He didn't get any credit because where did all the credit go? Jordan. And actually, you watched Last Dance, it went to everybody. Yeah, but also. It went out, all, everything, even even the players feel. Wait, wait, I'm going to go to break. Don't call Raleigh yet. Um, all the players, you could tell in a way, feel like everything went to Jordan. You could totally tell. But that, that I just wanted to get that out. I wanted to say, you know, what we have today. And then Reinsdorf, my God, you bring back Ozzie again. <sighs> Reinsdorf, for what he has won, what, seven titles, six with the Bulls, one with the White Sox? Correct. I was going to say real quick, he's the guy that hired Jerry Cross from the White Sox as their owner to the Bulls, who he also owned. <laughs> Crazy. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm great. How are you guys? We're, 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 we're doing wonderful. And I, I just thought, you know, after you came out with your diagnosis uh, of ALS, the, the pouring of Major League Baseball, just not few people, just not New York, 
all of Major League Baseball coming out and wishing you nothing but love and luck and everything that goes involved with this, I thought was really, really special. And it tells you how much you're loved in our great baseball community. I mean, I am still speechless over everything. The segment that you two did, what was that uh, last week? I have no sense of time. Uh, but when you guys did that soon after I announced it, thank you guys so much. I was crying. I have spent so much time crying, but crying for yeah. a good reason. Because, you know, I hope that people who see this see how incredible the baseball community is. Because that is my takeaway. Is that the baseball community, unlike any other community, any other sport, really cares for its people. And I knew that, but I had never experienced it in this way. And I'm still so overwhelmed and just so, so grateful. Well, I know at this time, it's your favorite time of the year. So you got a lot of playoff baseball to watch, to tweet about, to educate us uh, with everything on MLB.com. Of course, your Twitter account, as we always say, is second to none. So game five. Winner take all. You move on, you go home. What do you think about tonight's game? Well, first of all, I hope we get a game tonight. Apparently, weather forecast not great. Although, I am sitting here just outside New York City looking at blue sky and a couple of clouds, but nothing like a pouring rainstorm. So, I hope that we get a game tonight and that this series is not subject to more rain out and just issues with pitching that might come from that. But I'm really fascinated to see what happens. I mean, my absolute favorite stat in the postseason right now is the fact that home teams in winner-take-all games have no advantage whatsoever. In winner-take-all games in postseason history, Home teams are 61 and 63. We already saw a home team lose one in game three of the wildcard series with the Mets losing to the Padres. And it's just the funniest thing because any sports fan would tell you, oh yeah, being at home, home crowd, all of that, that has to help in a pressure-packed situation like that. But it turns out it doesn't. And of course, there are a million things at play. But it's just one of those stats that totally boggles the mind. Yeah, it, it does. And, and we've really been seeing it where in other sports, too, where you started seeing a lot of teams win on the road in the NFL in the postseason. We yeah, started yeah. seeing it in hockey where you had eight seeds making these great runs, even winning the cup. Uh, it doesn't happen so much in the NBA, less players uh, tougher to beat the better teams, but there's something about baseball, football, and hockey where we have started to see that home field advantage. Just the way everybody grows up now, the world's a lot smaller. I mean, you've lit, you're born and raised in New York, so you know years ago, if you're you know in the 50s or the 60s, and who knows where you grew up, and all of a sudden you came to New York City, you'd be like, oh my God, it's New York City. But the world's a lot smaller today, and going to New York City, and now with interleague play. All players play at Yankee Stadium. They play at Shea. They go to Dodger Stadium. I, I, our guys are not so bright-eyed anymore. It's like you go to Yankee Stadium, it's it's really – I know New York still tries to talk it up and the broadcast will talk it up, but 
You know, these Yankees haven't been to the World Series since 2009. They've lost a lot of home playoff games. Uh, the, the bright lights and the Bronx and that whole thing, I just, I just don't think it's there anymore. It just doesn't seem to be a specific advantage. But then you look at what happened on Saturday in San Diego and the fact that those fans basically willed their team to three runs and then five runs in the bottom of the seventh in the pouring rain. That felt like a clear instance of home field advantage, the way those Padres fans were so into everything going on. It was 3 nothing. it was, as you were talking about before you brought me on, team that won 111 games, team that was so dominant. And there, it really did feel like there was a home field advantage because we saw that flip just so quickly in a way that it had almost never happened for the Dodgers in the postseason. They'd only lost, I believe it was three games all year when leading by at least three runs in the seventh inning. That felt like San Diego as a home field advantage, but it's fascinating that they might, even if the Yankees don't. But I think more so than whether it's the bright lights or anything, these Yankees are not the Yankees that won three straight World Series. I just think there's a different type of good team here and isn't necessarily the same dominance that we've that we saw, you know, in the early 2000s and the late 90s from the Yankees. Well, I got to tell you, I totally agree with Harold Reynolds last night, and I've been saying it, and I fight it, and I feel like the more and more things go on, I'm right. Uh, Garrett Cole was paid for one thing. Wasn't any analytic wasn't anything that a lot of people try and throw on us. He's paid to win games. And he's paid to win games like last night. I give Garrett Cole. He's paid to win game one. He's paid to win that game. I give Garrett Cole a lot of credit. That's the pressure of New York. That's why you signed for over $300 million. That's when an athlete is living up to his contract. They're not paying him to be the darling in the regular season. They're paying him to be the darling in the postseason. And you know as well as anybody how tough it is to be a darling in New York. He did it last night. I was very impressed. How about you? Absolutely. I mean, you know, he was talking after the game with Lauren Shahadi, and I believe she had done the report during the game talking about how much it means to him to be an ace, the idea of win day, the idea of being the ace on the mound in that situation. And of course, even if the Yankees lose tonight, Garrett Cole did exactly what he is being paid to do, to your point. You don't give these guys those huge contracts for the regular season. The same way you don't trade for Juan Soto for what he did in August, you trade for him for what he's going to do in October for that team. So, I mean, it was really great to see. And I feel like, you know, if anyone had ever had any doubt that Garrett Cole had, you know, earned his pinstripes or whatever the phrase may be, and I know there are plenty with that team, I really think he proved that last night. Facing elimination, putting them in a great spot to win, this is exactly what he was paid to do. It's all he can do. And he did an outstanding job. 
Well, we'll see how it goes tonight. Savali against Tyon. And if this does do, again, obviously the Yankees are, are favorites, minus 150. That's the last time I saw it. But the one thing that I thought was interesting, and I went back and checked it, I'm like, yeah, that's right. Place, Karen Check, uh, Trevor Steffen, they they haven't they haven't they haven't pitched since Friday. So I mean if Cleveland, if you're looking at back of the bullpen, um I think you gotta say that they got the uh they got a little bit of an advantage. They definitely have the waiting advantage. They've had it the whole series. But it really felt like at a certain point last night when Terry Francona brought in Eli Morgan and the guys that he went to late in the game, that was make sure we are set for tomorrow no matter what. Not that he gave up the game in any way, but this is a Hall of Fame manager and the Hall of Fame manager is thinking ahead. He is thinking and knowing that you need to be ready for Monday night in New York. And we saw Emmanuel Classe with a career-long outing on Friday in New York, two and a third innings. I would expect that if they need him to do that again, he absolutely will. And same for Karen Chalk and Trevor Steffen. I mean, those guys are rested. This is a bullpen that did not allow a run in their first 18 and two-thirds innings this postseason including the race series and the beginning of this one. That is basically why they're still in this. They're not a home run hitting team. They don't do those other powerful things, but their bullpen has been spotless, almost spotless. I, I, I got to tell you, if there's a guy that looks like a Yankee uh, and plays like a Yankee, and I knew he grew up right down the street, Harrison Bader, Three home runs and 14 plate appearances. And we know what what kind of defense he play, defensive player he is, especially what we saw in St. Louis. I mean, does this guy not look like he fits in? Clean shaven, that jaw. He, he looks like a Yankee. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's so funny because when this trade happened and Jordan Montgomery got off to that great start in St. Louis and the Yankees pitching was struggling, I was going on shows, SNY and other New York area shows, defending, saying, I know you haven't seen Harrison Bader yet, but I promise you are going to love him. He is an electric player. He plays a very important defense. He's fast. His bat was really the question, but he is doing exactly what they acquired him to do. He is changing the game with that defense and speed, and these home runs have been incredible. He and Charlie Keller in 1939 are the only Yankees to hit three home runs in their first four games in the postseason with the team. I mean, it's just incredible. You think of all the guys who have played for the Yankees in October. It's him and Charlie Keller in 1939. But, you know, I would just love for all those Yankee fans to go back get back into their feelings right around August 15th when Harrison Bader was injured and they hadn't seen him and Jordan Montgomery was like 3-0 for the Cardinals. It all worked out and you were getting a great player. And the fact that he gets a chance time to play in a winner-take-all game for the team he grew up rooting for, not far from where he grew up, I mean... 
that is the exact energy you want on your side. So it really all worked out, and it's so great to see him thriving in that way. Yeah, it's going to be uh, fantastic tonight. Hopefully we get a great game. As I said earlier, this isn't going to beat Monday Night Football, but I think we'll get a we'll get a good TV rating tonight. A lot of eyes are going to be on this game. We love elimination games. Hopefully we get it in because I'm just looking at it, you know, with the, you know, with tomorrow, the NLCS starting, man, if you push this thing back another day, I don't even know what the weather is in New York the next couple of days. It just, it starts to really get you off track. And that's just, that, that is not good because they're going to get going in San Diego. By the way, San Diego, Philadelphia, two teams. No one, no one thought they were going to be here. The gambling public didn't think they were going to be here. And I look at them. You got two teams that believe. You got two teams that got the it factor. They totally believe. They slayed their monsters. Philly slaved Atlanta. San Diego slaved L.A. I mean, this is going to be a clash of two of the hungriest fan bases, two teams that got nothing to lose. How do you see it? Oh, my gosh. I mean, you saw how much energy is behind these two fan bases on Saturday. I mentioned what happened in San Diego in that game with the rain delay beginning in the pouring rain in the seventh inning. But in Philadelphia, it felt like a club. I mean, you had Reese Hoskins spiking his bat. You had music bouncing every half inning. I mean, they were so into it. I'm so excited for both of these fan bases and for the Nola brothers who get to face off and know that one of them will be in the World Series, which is pretty amazing. But, I mean, I think it's so tough. I think starting pitching-wise, I tend toward the Phillies a little bit with Aaron Nola, with Zach Wheeler, and the fact that you can bring them back later in the series you Darvish has been very good. Joe Musgrove has been. We'll see if he continues to be. Blake Snell kind of continues to be a question in the postseason, how deep he goes into the game, all of that. But that bullpen that the Padres have is the reason that they're there. We saw the beginnings of it in that Mets series. That was really what kept them in it. And that ended up being the difference maker against the Dodgers. The Dodgers had a struggling bullpen. Padres had a spotless bullpen. The Phillies bullpen has been the butt of jokes for years. And this year, they have Zach Eflin coming in out of the bullpen. It's kind of piecemeal. We've seen it work. But I'm curious if it will continue to work. And you know, I'm expecting another big series from Juan Soto and Manny Machado. They both have really key hits in that decisive game, and I feel like they will kind of bring that momentum. But I think these teams are kind of evenly matched in a way, not just because their win totals were too apart in the regular season, but they're both coming in with so much momentum. And even though that's not quantifiable, that sort of feels like that's what's uniting them at this point. Well, Sarah, it's so great to see you. It is. You look beautiful. We love you. We're, we'll, you'll have all the support 
uh, you, you'll need from us. Anything that we can do for you, you know that we'll be here for you. And we're going to still call on your brilliance because you are absolutely brilliant. So it's wonderful to see you and a uh, lot of love. Lot Thank of you. Thank you so much. So good to chat with you and enjoy the games. We'll be in touch. You be well. Thank you. There oh, is. there he is, the Cal Bear. Dude, check it out. Right there. That the, you know what that is right there? That's College World Series. That is the one. Yeah. That that's that that that's that that that's what we call big league right there. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing, Townie? Uh, I'm uh, I'm really interested in tonight's game as, wow, so much on the line, winner take all, Yankees at home. But I don't, for some reason, home field advantage, when you look at the actual records, just doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't really matter in baseball, football, hockey, NBA still, but there's something about home field vantage that just doesn't ring like it used to. And uh, obviously you guys are watching big time tonight because that's who's coming to Houston. No, you're right. How about go all the way back to uh, 2019, the World Series between the Washington Nationals and Houston Astros. Yeah. Not one team won a home game. It was unbelievable to watch that ga- that series go seven games and realize the Nationals won four games in Houston's turf to win that World Series. So to your point, you know, it really doesn't matter. It's just a matter of who's hot at the right time and getting the big hits when they need them. Yeah, we'll get to the Astros as, you know, we just don't know who you're matching up against and who you think's going to match up better. I uh, just want to, you know, looking at the National League, obviously you played in San Diego. I'm sure you were, you were rooting for the Padres. And just looking how the Dodgers conducted their business. And once again, We're not going to let starters go. It doesn't matter how they're pitching. We're taking them out. You go to the law firm or the bullpen. And I was just talking about earlier how you start looking at the salaries of these guys where you're throwing a bunch of guys in a must-win game who all are making 700 grand. You spend all these millions in research and data. You spend all this millions on your front office and all these independent contractors and data scientists and in the end, you got a bunch of guys making seven hundred grand are deciding your fate. I think it's crazy. Am I crazy for thinking that? No, you're crazy. It's both the two the two richest teams in baseball, other than the New York Mets, have bullpens that are put together. You know, kind of mitch, mixed and matched, and trying to hope for the best. I'm with you in that sense. If you're going to spend all that money, and you know, the, man, it's it's almost that Los Angeles Angels mentality where I. Artie Moreno goes out and spends millions upon million, almost a billion dollars on offense. Yet there's nobody to put put an offense down on the opposing side to allow your guys to win those games. And then you have the Dodgers, like you said, they have the payroll, they have the ability, and they also have an analytic department that hamstrings those guys that you're putting out there. Because like you said, two times through the order, it doesn't matter how you're doing it. And this can go all the way back to 2017 no matter how you feel about the Houston Astros, there were a couple of games. Rich Hill's game is the one that jumps out to me where he took him out after four innings because he felt he had a better option in the bullpen 
But now he doesn't have that option in the bullpen, but he also doesn't have that starting rotation to go out there and really kind of, you know, give his ball club an opportunity to win late in games. And then it becomes, oh, my gosh, is this guy going to do it tonight? Who's it going to be this time? And that's a lot of pressure to put on guys that are only making 750 grand because that means that those guys don't have a lot of experience, period, let alone in the postseason. As a player, now you don't have this with Dusty Baker, obviously. I mean, Dusty <laughs> Baker, and you can say this with A.J. Hinch, too. I mean, these guys were making decisions. I just know for a fact, Kevin Cash, it's all scripted in Tampa. Same mm-hmm. thing for Dave Roberts. So it's like when people want to come down on Dave Roberts, you're like, he's doing what he's told. It's just it is what it is, whether you like it or not. The old days of Sparky Anderson and and Earl Weaver and Tommy Lasorda, those days, those days are dead. Dick Williams, those days are dead. But as a player, what would it be like, you know, everything that's happening to you when you hit, when you don't hit, when you pitch, when you get taken out is all decided really before the game. And it really is out of the manager's control. How would you as a player, I'm not going to say you're going to disrespect the guy, but like, how would you feel about the respect and love for the manager if you knew he really wasn't calling the shots? Well, that might be why the Astros are playing so good behind Dusty because he he understands, you know, he's kind of evolved a little bit, you know, even since the time we saw him here, he understands that this is a highly analytic game right now. But at the same time, he still has the ability to, you know, maybe to overrule some of the decisions and go out there and make what he feels like is the best decision. You can have all the information you want in the world, but if you're putting a guy out there that's under the weather or just got in a fight with his wife or just spent the night in the ER with his daughter, you know, with a broken arm, how is he going to perform? He's not going to perform up to what your algorithm says because your algorithm is static. It doesn't have, um, you know, a human emotion involved in it. That's what makes managing these days so much better when you do have somebody who understands the player and can motivate them. That was one of the unique things about A.J. Hinch for me was talking to him and understanding that he understood the, the analytic part of it. And I said, well, how do you how do you get these guys all pushing in the right direction? He goes, I have to talk to him individually. And I think yeah. that, you know, Dusty Baker's the same way. He goes, I got to find out what that guy's motivation is. Is it is it getting him in the right position to go out there so you know somebody takes a great picture and he gets a ton of likes on Instagram or is it you know the next contract is it an incentive some somewhere else so you got to find a way to motivate these guys and and put them in positions to win and i think that's what a computer can't do at times is figure out the best pocket for a guy or putting him in the best position is he is he capable in this given moment and that's where the manager steps in you know, you and I both know, you know, working around and being around highly analytic teams is it all looks great on paper. It all looks good for 162 games. But when you get into these compressed series where you've got to ride a little bit of emotion, you've got to ride momentum, you've got to ride a hot hand. There are going to be certain guys who analytic, analytically look better but they're not pitching great at the time. And guess who that manager is going to go to? He's going to go to the guy that he feels he can trust at that moment. And that's why that's what makes Dusty so good right now. Yeah, I think about, you know, this this whining now about, well, I mean, is it really fair that they had the time off and it was a five game set and blah, blah. I mean, this it's a crapshoot. You know, we've heard that for years in Oakland. It's a crapshoot. And you're like, Mm -hmm. it's a sport. We need to play. And I, I don't know what else we need to do to these division winners do we got to like 
tie the wild card team's arm behind their back and they only get to fight with one arm. I mean, what advantage <laughs> do you want? You want to be up to nothing every game. I, I mean, you've won a World Series. You guys had the it factor. You know what that's like. It's like, stop this whining. You the winner, you lose. What do you bring into the party? Well, I, I understand the, the the severe disappointment of a team like the Dodgers or the you know the Mets who fought like crazy, but they got overwhelmed by the Atlanta Braves. We eventually get knocked out of the playoffs. I'm a little more disappointed on the on the Braves end because I feel like they did a very good job, and they did get ice cold after such a strong and you know strong finish to the season. Because we always talk about it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And the Braves finished extremely strong. And they thought they earned that number two seed to get that five days off before, you know, whoever was going to come play them. And maybe it did settle down the bats. Maybe they didn't handle it as well as they had wanted to. And, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the concern is, well, we had too much time off. Well, how do you know you had too much time off? Is it because you lost the series or is it because your your bats went ice cold or because your bullpen gave it up? There's really nothing you can point to other than saying, you know, well, when you do say something like that, I think it screams more, we weren't prepared. And I understand baseball has a lot to do with rhythm and timing, especially on the hitting side, but there's ways around that. And you should be able to do that. I played in 05 where we, we won our championship series against the Angels. We had five days off. But we also had a bullpen that hadn't been used very much in that uh, championship series. We had guys on the bench who didn't get used at all in the first two weeks of the playoffs. So we went out there and literally faced our bullpen every single day until the World Series started. And there was plenty of time for regulars to step in there and keep their keep their uh, timing and see what's going on. But I think a lot of this is on the player. It's on the organization. And I think now that you have these high, you know, these massive markets like the Yankees potentially losing tonight if they do with the Dodgers that's when you might see Major League Baseball step in because if it's the Astros or the Athletics they're gonna be like well they well they lost too bad but if it but if it's the big markets that they want in the playoffs they're gonna go man we need to restructure this so this doesn't happen again well I and I think about the NLCS I think this is actually great for baseball. You may say markets. Well, Atlanta's a pretty big market. L.A., obviously, market, too. Mm-hmm. But that's not fresh. I think what baseball is seeing right Parody. now, well, they're seeing excitement. They're, yeah. I mean, people are going insane in San Diego and Philadelphia. Take us back to your World Series. <laughs> it's a Cubs town. It's Cubs. It's Cubs. All of a sudden, here comes the White Sox, the Southsiders. I mean, the White Sox hadn't won a World Series. What was it, like the 50s? Oh, I think it was Black Sox. It was something like 88 years, you know. Yeah, it was like, like 19, you guys, you 19, guys took 19. the town over. What was that like? I mean, the thirst. And oh. All of a sudden, you guys were in the World Series. Chicago went nuts for you guys. Yeah, well, first of all, the baseball gods were smiling on me because I can't stand the Cubs. I loved playing against them, loved beating up on them, and then we finally get the opportunity to go play for the White Sox on the south side. And we start to run away with the, the American League Central. And, you know, the tide starts to shift. You could literally feel it start to shift in that city down towards us. And by the time we ended up in the World Series, you know, there were monuments and, you know, uh, sculptures out in front of, you know, the zoo, the aquarium, out in front of, uh, you know, Soldier Field. Everything, every statue or anything you could put a pair of white socks on 
had a pair of white socks on it. It was amazing. So everybody kind of latched on to the idea that, you know, we were going to represent that city as well as we could and uh, kind of push the Cubs off to the side. That was a lot of fun, but they will, that you get to that point, any market, any city will absolutely embrace what's happening. And I think it's, you know, what's remarkable about San Diego is they're finally getting a dividend on the money that they've spent, but it's kind of interesting too now that, they are literally the only product in town. So I, I give them a lot of credit for going out there making the effort. And I give those guys a lot of credit for, for going out there and playing as hard as they did to beat a team that beat up on them 15 times throughout the course of the season. God, I think about it, man. You're, you're a part of a statue. <laughs> like that's amazing. Like yeah. just think about that. I mean, like forever. I mean, I want you to live forever, but we will, we won't live forever, but mm-hmm. you are going to be a part of that world series statue forever. That's incredible. Yeah, that, that, that is incredible. I, I don't know. I still, to this day, don't know how to put it into words. You know, my, my triplets who were born that same year, they're going to graduate from high school. And at the same time, I felt like it was just a couple of years ago that I was, you know, taking that big swing. But the fact that they immortalize it the way they did that you're talking about is even better. And it's nice that, the way they did it, I don't know if anybody's ever got the chance, but if you go to Chicago, it's right in front of the front gate at uh, Comiskey Field or whatever they call it now. But, you know, they kind of they, they took about five or six great moments out of that World Series. You've got A.J. raising his mask. You've got Uribe making a great play in the stands. And, uh, of course, Paul Canerco's grand slam in there. So they did a really good job of encapsulating it. And it just, you know, just so happened that uh, I happened to be one of those moments. But. Yeah, when my kids start harping on me, going "You're an old fuddy-duddy" or "That was a bad joke, Dad," I've always got yeah, I've got one, I've got one in the chamber. I can go, "Hey, remember the statue?" Yeah, I'm a statue <laughs> guy. That's all you need to say. Uh, when you look at the Astros sitting here waiting, yeah, uh, Astros didn't have a problem with the time off. Yeah, you had one long game. You did it in three. You took care of your business. Just how do you feel about this team? Dusty, the team, and really, let's be honest, for some of these players, they win this World Series, they can kind of flip the bird to everybody about what happened in the past. Yeah, I think, you know, I don't know, I would imagine there's a little bit of the goal in in winning the World Series is the ability to be able to do that because they do take so much heat on the road. You know, Oakland A's fans have done a great job of letting them have it when they were on the road. And it's, you know, it's understandable um, it's, it's obviously on the West coast. It's not to the extent that they get it, you know, in stadiums like Yankee stadium, or maybe even a Dodger stadium. But I, I do think that there is that underlying theme of, if we go out and win this thing, will everybody just get over the fact that we, you know, we did, we handled things inappropriately in 2017, maybe on an extreme scale. I'm not sure if that'll happen, but I think what's fascinating to me to watch is knowing that there's about five guys from that 17 team still on this ball club. Yet you have sprinkled in 21 other guys through the system or via trade or via free agency or a waiver wire pickup. But every guy that comes in there points to the name on the front of their chest and they they kind of pick up the torch and carry it with those guys who have that scarlet letter of 2017 on them. And they want to go out there and, and they want to win a World Series so that these guys can kind of be exonerated like you're talking about. But probably a better question for you, Townie, is if you know, it's a long ways off. They've still got to win eight more games, but if they actually won that world series, does that exonerate those guys or does that lessen the the stain of 2017 for those guys? 
I still have the scar of the Tuck rule and Tom Brady. If that just lets me, you and me both. So uh, no, no, it, it will never. It, it will. Well, that's it will a great never, example. It will never leave me. Mm-hmm. The Astros, the Patriots, will never leave me. But but I'm someone that's so invested in it, True. and it means so much to me. What this organization means to me, the battles that we had. I won't be able to let it go, but I think the average baseball fan will time heals everything. And the, uh, you know, like, let's face it with Tom Brady's career, no one really remembers the tuck rule, but Raider fans anyway. So, so no one cares. You know, I was thinking about Jordan Alvarez and what, you know, I don't think people realize just how big he is. He is a (laughs) big dude. He's a big man Mm -hmm. who hits. He doesn't, he hits like a guy that's not that big. He's got the big power like a guy that big, but the way that he has such great back control to all fields, uh, enough people don't know about him. We've seen enough of him to go, oh, my God, we're going to have to deal with this guy forever. I mean, truly one of the special players in our game. Yeah, because like you said, when you do see him, he's all a six foot five, two forty. He's built like an Adonis. And uh, we marvel at his ability to go out and batting practice and hit baseballs, you know, 450 feet with just a flick of the wrist. And then, you know, fortunately and unfortunately, he's hit some of the biggest home runs of his career against the Oakland A's, both at the Coliseum and that big three home run game that he had at Minute Maid Park. But at the same time, you know, I think it kind of discounts his ability to go out there and hit because when you start to broaden that view a little bit and check out the numbers, he's a 300 hitter. He is a 400 plus on base percentage type guy. He's not a, you know, he's barely got past, I think, 100 strikeouts for the season. He's not a 200 strikeout guy. He is going to put the ball in play. He's an RBI machine. You know, there's there's a lot of guys that I was able to play with throughout my career who really knew how to drive in a run. And what I mean by that is if a runner's at third base, less than two outs, infield's back, it's going to be a ground ball in the middle of the infield, run scores. It's going to be a runner on third base, infield pulled in, Long fly ball, sacrifice fly. It's a guy on second base, and instead of taking that one pitch that maybe you try and open up on and try and launch to the pull side, they kind of inside out, just drop a nice little base hit in center field or right field going to the opposite field. Here comes the run. York Don is that guy, and he's actually – you know he will he will he will benefit from the shift being removed from the game but at the same time i really think he took advantage of the uh, you know watching him on a daily basis i can say that he took advantage of those shifts being played against him in rbi situations because he's not afraid to let that ball get deep and drive it the other way he's not afraid to get jammed and hit a little dink shot in the left field as long as it pushes a run across his mentality is you know help the ball club first but, of course, he's got enough thunder in that bat that if he gets a mistake, it's going to get absolutely tanked. Let's end on this. Yankees, Indians. I mean, if I'm the Astros, mm-hmm. I really don't care. It's like bring either one. We're going True. to smoke either one. But if you had to say better matchup for the Astros, who do they match up better against? Would it be Yankees or would it be Indians or Guardians? You know what's crazy is I've thought about this quite a bit, and we went through Cleveland, uh, you know, a little bit later in the year this year, and watching what, watching what Bieber and Tristan McKenzie did to the Astros, I'm sitting there going, okay, if you know, you try and fast forward a little bit, but here we are, and I'm saying I'm not sure this is probably the best matchup for the Astros as far as an offense, the Astros' offense against the Cleveland Indians pitching. 
And then you have the emergence of Karen Jack and some of the other guys. And then you've got uh, Classe out there throwing 100-mile-an-hour cut fastballs. <laughs> this guy's insane. So I'm sitting there. I'm looking at their, those two starters and at least three guys out of their bullpen where I sit there and go, man, if they get deep enough in the game and they can give the ball to those guys, that's going to create a real issue to come back on. And then you shift your focus to the New York Yankees and knowing what the Astros offense did against their pitching staff and knowing that their bullpen is in, I'm not sure Boone knows, knows who he wants to bring in. And I see that and I go, okay, the offense can compete against that. And then you shift over to the, the Cleveland Indians side on offense. you got a couple of guys in that lineup that might surprise you and get a big hit. I know Gonzalez is going well, but there's one guy in that lineup that I do not want to beat me, and that is Jose Ramirez. This dude is unbelievable. I know he's not hitting the ball hard right now, but he still finds ways to get hits, and he drives me nuts. But I think you can pitch to that lineup. It would, those would be probably some very low-scoring uh, games in that series. And then you shift over to the uh, Yankee side, and we know that the Astros went out there, no-hit them in the Bronx. Uh, they, have a, they have a ton of swing and miss in that lineup. I know Hayter's in there that's a little bit different, and they've got some younger guys. A Kiner Falefa can mix in there who makes a lot of contact but they can be pitched to. So like you said, I think the matchup is better for the Astros against the Yankees. And I also think, and you could correct me or you could give me a little input on it too. If, if you're the Astros, don't you want to go through New York so that nobody can say, well, you didn't beat the Yankees to get there. Ooh, yeah. And you've just already, I mean, Ever since that wild card game that Keiko pitched. I know you're, you're right. Going back to 15. I mean, the, the Astros have been beating the Yankees in the postseason, so it wouldn't be anything new. I kind of like that. I kind of like that going, you know what? Let's just take care of their ass, and then no mm-hmm. one can say anything. And then you kind of wish the Dodgers were there and beat them, but they're No, they're I, I thought the either. same thing. It was right? that's, what's, that's what's frustrating about the Braves and Dodgers not getting in, because then you say we beat the reigning World Series champions, and then you go back, and, I mean, it probably would be even sweeter if they had the ability to go out there and beat the Dodgers just to say, okay, you thought we couldn't do it back then? Well, we did it again, so who knows? Uh, quickly, on that 100-mile-an-hour cutter, people got to realize that a cutter is a fastball that just moves a little bit. It's mm-hmm. not a slider. It's not a slurve or a over 12-6 curveball. You faced the guy that had the greatest one, but he wasn't throwing it. My Mario no. Rivera wasn't throwing 100. No. What is it like hitting – that pitch that just seems to be unhittable. So we, we, a lot of the language that we use these days is swing decision. And the swing decision is so hard on a cutter because you can't pick up the rotation. It's, it, it's Sometimes it's very subtle. You know, the curveball has a very distinct movement to it and spin to it. Uh, obviously, the fastball jumps out of the hand. But the cutter is coming at you at fastball rates of speed. And facing Mariano Rivera, I couldn't pick up the rotation. And by the time I thought I was going to be able to anticipate where that pitch was, it broke further than I thought it would. Or it just it broke off where I was anticipating it getting to. And it all of a sudden, you know, the barrel, you work on the barrel, you're working with about four inches of, of, of wood bat that are called the sweet spot. And if you don't get it off that sweet spot, it's either going to break your bat or it's going to take the life out of it. You're going to pop it up. You're going to miss hit this thing. And that's the idea of the cutters just to move that baseball enough off of there. But think about the ability at 101 miles an hour to have the brain figure out, okay, that's the cutter. It's coming in at a, 
ridiculous rate of speed and I've got to anticipate the break to get to it. I mean, there's a lot of things going against the hitter and it's amazing Classe has been able to do that, but that's what makes that pitch effective is even if you think you have an idea that you're going to get to it, there's just enough break on it to make you hesitate. But with the speed and the movement, Levy really not, not much of a chance other than to guess and hope for the best. Would you back up, maybe get a little, little closer in the box what would you do with Rivera? Because you knew it was coming. It was coming. Yeah. I mean, they didn't even need to call a side. They didn't need pitch com. Uh, cutter's <laughs> coming, and it's coming, and it's coming. It's yeah, coming, he told coming. you. Yeah, yeah, it's coming. So, like, did you make any adjustments? Um, it's funny you say that. There's actually a couple of guys. So, I switch hit. So, I hit against yeah, yeah. Mariano Rivera left-handed. I know for a fact, because I played with Jose Cruz Jr. in the American League East when we were in Tampa, he hit right-handed off him so that that pitch was actually going away from him. I, I didn't have the guts to do that, but I did what you were talking about. I would stand in the box in my regular stance. Mariano would come set, and as soon as he started his movement, I would back off the plate a little bit as he was getting his delivery ready to come home because I knew if I didn't do that, I was going to get absolutely destroyed on the inside. He severed at least six or seven of my bats for sure. God, that's amazing. Amazing yeah, he that was good. one guy could just go, hey, everybody, this is what's happening, and there's nothing you can yeah. do about it. Trevor, Trevor Hoffman had a changeup. I couldn't, I, dude, I could have bought a bus ticket, waited all night, and I wasn't going to be able to stay back on that thing. <laughs> and he's huffing and puffing, and he's yeah, coming down like, the van. It just, just never time. gets there. By the way, the Cal jersey is sweet, and I know our fans will love that. Dude, I had to. I knew I was coming on. They said video was going to be involved, and I went digging, and I found it. Good call. That, that, that thing should be in glass, for God's sake. <laughs> Uh, well, considering what it smells like right now, it might not be a bad idea. Hey, that was was that worn in Omaha? Oh, that that was the game. Yeah, I'm not sure if the patch might be on the other side, but yeah, I think that's the one. Yeah, you're big league. Hey, I've been around, man. This game's done so much for me. I mean, you're big league. I mean, I mean, think what about what is. Cal and baseball have done for me. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, it does suck. <laughs> <laughs> Good education. World Series, now great broadcasting career. You've had a good baseball life, my friend. I have, I have. And now I'm hanging out with you. It's even better. Are you doing uh, radio? Are you doing anything during the rest of this playoffs? Well, uh, you know, I can't bury the network I work on because I need, I like my job, but uh, they're not doing anything. But I've actually, there's a local TV channel here in Houston that's actually hooked me up and allowed me to do some pre and post with them. That's the one thing that is so rough. Like, it's your broadcasters. It's your guys. They they love you. They follow you. They believe in you. They watch you every night. And then all of a sudden, I've now got to turn it on to TBS. And I'm like, really? <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. We, we And, you know, you've been around some of these national broadcasts where you try they, – they'll ask you for – you know, you try and give them as much information as you can – they'll have it and they'll just regurgitate it. They don't have the emotion, the passion, or, you know, the familiarity on how that story should be told to really relate to the fans. And that's where I think it gets lost a little bit where you don't have at least one local guy on that show to be able to provide a little more insight, a little more light, and maybe a little more emotion to some of those stories. But yeah, it's, it's very frustrating that you get to, you know, the players get to move on. They played 162 yeah. and they get the, they get to move on. We called 162 and we can just kind of go, all right, boys, see you later. Yeah, you get kicked to the curb. See ya. Yep. <laughs> All right, my friend. Uh, I can't wait to talk to you before the World Series. Hey, I look forward to it. Anytime talking to Townie is good for good for me and good for my soul, man.
Good luck to you guys. Appreciate it. The great Jeff Blum, the World Series hero, Astros broadcaster. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, it's great to have Jim back on the program. Jim, how have you been? Uh, Good. How are you guys doing? We are doing well as it looks like the Phillies are starting to get it going here down in San Diego. They got two on, two outs. uh, Actually, two on, nobody out in the second inning. Hey, before we get into anything A's, I want to ask you some questions that we've noticed this season. Now, obviously, coming out of COVID and you had the alternate site and you had so many minor league players who just did not play, guys that were getting drafted, they didn't have a whole lot of time in college and high school. It's just been a a weird period. And we saw organizations just not stretch guys out. And then you have the lockout this year. But even like the A's at some point, we started stretching our guys out. One organization, and I don't know if you follow this with the Dodgers, they just have not been stretching at the lower level their guys out at all. Like if you start, you're going to get credit for a start, but you're only going two innings at the most three. And now we're watching what they do at the big league level in the playoffs. They pull everybody so early. Uh, what is going on with someone like the Dodgers to where nowhere in their system is anybody giving you any type of innings? Well, I think those are two separate issues. Um, one, you know, and Dodgers maybe do it more extreme. I do think teams have been really cautious with how to handle pitchers coming off the COVID year, because as you guys know, with young pitchers, you try to build them up, you know, you get them out of high school. You know, if you get them out of high school, they maybe pitch 100 innings their first full season, then 120, then 140, and nobody really pitches many more than 160 in the big leagues now. In college, maybe they start at 120 because they pitch a little bit more. But you try not to add too many innings from one year to the next. And in 2020, nobody pitched. Nobody pitched in the minors. You know, I mean, as you mentioned, teams did the alternate site stuff. That wasn't the same as pitching in like a real game situation. You're facing a lot of the same players. You've coaches playing left field because you don't have enough bodies to catch balls. It, it wasn't the same. So I think teams were very cautious in 2021 and again in 2022. I don't think this is something the Dodgers or other teams are, you know, necessarily going to, you know, have three inning starters, you know, forever. But, you know, they have watched their innings very carefully. They've tried to protect their young arms. And then I just think playoff baseball. You know, with the, you know, the game's different than from when I grew up or where you guys grew up, you know, back when, you know, playoffs, you know, you'd have your guy, you know, guys throwing complete games and, you know, doing things like that. Now it's like you go twice through the order and most pitchers are out of there and it's mix and match. And, you know, there's a bunch of relievers in every game. I, I don't think what the Dodgers do in the playoffs is related to what they've done in the minors, though. Yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there because we've just been tracking it. It's like, wow, and then to see it. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's why watching last night's game, I don't think that's going to happen in today's game. That was watching last night's game with Darvish and Wheeler was refreshing to watch two guys go seven innings, deal, and do their thing. 
Yeah, I mean, and part of it is I think because they were pretty efficient. They what they give up three hits between them or something like that, four hits between them. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it just seems like if you five out of your starter and then it becomes a bullpen game. It, it, a lot of times in the playoffs, it's kind of crazy. How do you think minor leagues has recovered since the pandemic and everything that we've gone through? You know, we've had way less drafts. We've uh, draft choices. There's been a lot of change. There's been reduction in minor leagues teams. Just just how are we in minor league baseball and with what things are going on, how we've recovered from the COVID, from the COVID situation? Yeah, I mean, I think – I think people have gotten used to kind of the day-to-day reality. There's fewer teams. There's fewer players getting drafted. You know, there's four full-season teams. There's one short-season teams. There's limits on players. But I do think what's what's still been tough even two years after COVID is, you know, you're finding that the layoff really affected different players in different ways. And there are some guys who bounced right back from it, whether it's hitters or position players. Then there's other guys who – we're just out of whack for all of 2021. And, and some of that lingered into 2022. And I do think even with teams trying to be careful with pitchers, you know, having a year where guys didn't pitch, it just feels like, I don't know. I mean, I guess pitching injuries are going up anyway. I just think as guys throw harder, guys get hurt more. But I also think we've had, you know, more pitching injuries than, than feels like normal or before we had, you know, the pandemic. I think some of that's related to the layoffs. So I think in terms of, Everybody knowing what they're dealing with and reduced rosters and reduced draft. Everybody's used to that. But I still think that even two years later, we're feeling some effects from the pandemic. Yeah, I, I we've talked to a few college coaches when we draft guys and we'll have the uh, head coaches on. And they, you know, recruiting's been different. Obviously, what's been going on, depending also, also where people live, right? Like, obviously, what happened in California and how we dealt with it versus like, let's say Texas and Florida and Arizona, you know, hotbeds for where guys and prospects are people dealt with it and counties dealt with it differently. School districts dealt with it differently. So there's definitely that effect. Also. I wonder what that will be like years from now. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe in a couple of years, we'll kind of get out of that, but you you mentioned the college thing. Here's the crazy thing about college. So in 2020, you had you guys who would have been juniors 40 round draft back then expecting to get drafted. You know, we're probably talking, you know, we had the draft got cut to five rounds, but you know, we're probably talking not everybody in the 40 round draft signs, but, but I'd say there are probably, I don't know, 750 to a thousand college juniors and seniors who would have turned pro that year. who didn't get the opportunity and they came back and they got another year of eligibility. So you have, if you're a college coach, you know, like you said, you've talked to some of these guys, you, you know, you, you have, it's very difficult college recruiting because guys don't declare for the draft. They just get drafted. Sometimes they sign, sometimes they don't. Your incoming recruit, same thing. So you're kind of like planning who's going to be coming, who's going to be going. And you have all these juniors you thought were going to be leaving who not only don't leave, they come back and they basically have two more years of eligibility. So some yeah. of those guys that if you're a college coach, you thought, you know, again, not that you want these kids to go. I mean, they're good players, but you thought we're going to be gone in 2020 and open up scholarships. We're still on your team in 2022. And, you know, the scholarships in most places are renewable year to year. But if you have guys who are older players, you know, can play, you're not kicking them off your roster. And then you have incoming recruits you don't have room for. Or if you still get them to come, they don't have playing time. I, I think this will be the first year where they'll be kind of back to normal roster management for college coaches. But 
you know, the pandemic, I think, as we touched on, you know, especially with the pitching, was not a one-year deal. It really affected all levels of baseball for, I think, at least the last three years. Now, for us, obviously, young players, you know, we went through a stretch three straight years in the playoffs, even the year before when we did make the playoffs, 186 games, we're going for it. And then a complete flip to what we saw last year, 102 losses, going to, whether you want to call it rebuild, retool, whatever you want to call it, we're in it. And so these young guys now mean more than they ever have in, in recent years for the athletics. So was there anybody that's an A farmhand that stood out for you while you were down there in Arizona? Um, you know, I think Zach Geloff, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm distracted here. I don't know if you guys are watching the game too. Juan Soto just lost the ball in the sun and now it's oh, yeah. two nothing Phillies. Hey, but, I uh, can tell you, I'm originally from San Diego and all my buddies, I, they couldn't have been more excited when he showed up. They can't be more furious with him. Uh, the way he hasn't hit, and then, yeah, we just saw it. He missed it in the sun. Juan Soto went from, like, oh, my God, this guy's the greatest. Uh, people in San Diego scratching their heads. Yeah, I, I think he'll be okay in the long run. But getting back to your question, I was just – I can't, I have my TV on over here to the right, so I keep turning to the right to see what's going on there. But, uh, but no, Zach Galoff kind of stood out to me the most. Um, you know, I'll tell you what surprised me the most about him. He looked pretty good at second base. You know, I think of him as more of a third baseman. Yeah. I they played him a lot at second. He looked pretty good at second base when I saw him. I was there for a week. I'll go back for the final week, too. But he was um, he was pretty impressive. I mean, I know he can hit. You know, he's moved real quick in the minors. I remember I actually saw him for the first time in Arizona. We broadcast the MLB4 tournament. I guess it would have been 2019. It was his first game he played in college. I remember watching him in BP thinking I'd never heard of him. The way we split the draft in MLB, I have half the country, but I didn't have Zach Geloff, who's from New Jersey. So I didn't really know much about him. I'm like, man, this guy looks really good in BP. And then he hit three doubles in the game. But no, I think Zach Geloff, you know, I think, you know, the question is, is he a guy who's a solid player versus a guy who's like a cornerstone you build a team around? He might be more of that solid regular than a, you know, true star you build around. But he, he looked really good in Arizona. Um, I mean, it's always an offensive league out there. The, I think the pitching's actually – it was pretty bad last year. And it might even be a little worse this year. I think, again, it's kind of related to the pandemic in terms of teams don't send pitchers who, got, who hit their innings limits during the season. And the innings limits are lower still related to the pandemic. So you have fewer top-notch pitchers go out there. The age are kind of an exception. I saw Mason Miller throw really hard. Um, he didn't make it past – he didn't make it out of the second inning in the start. I saw Mason Miller hit 100 repeatedly. Um, uh, you know, I'd seen him at the combine. He was a guy I was familiar with from the draft. Um, JT Ginn looks a lot different than I remember seeing him as an amateur before the Tommy John surgery. He used to be kind of a four seam mid 90s guy, and now he's kind of a more of a low 90s sinker slider guy. Still has a slinker, maybe not quite as powerful as it used to be. Um, I didn't see Ryan Cusick. I know he. It's it's weird. He's he's not giving up any runs. And I think the league ERA is over six down there. Um, but he's also not striking out a lot of guys and not throwing a lot of strikes. But I didn't get to see him personally to tell you what his stuff looked like down there. What do you need to see? We can be generic on this. Yeah. What do you need to see down there that you feel actually translates when you can really say, okay, I see that. That will play at the big league level. Yeah, you know, it's funny because – like I said, I mean, the, the, just the environment and just the, the the talent down there, it's really slanted in favor of the hitters. So I don't I don't even really look at performance. 
um, as to more like not so much the numbers matter, but like how a guy gets to those numbers, you know, in terms of both hitter and pitcher, you know, is he controlling the strike zone? Are the, are the hitters chasing? Cause you can put up big, you can have guys who strike out 35% of the time. We're still going to put up big numbers down there because the ball flies, but you know, are they controlling the strike zone or are, are pitchers commanding the ball and then just kind of ease operation? Like, I mean, you know, you can swing for the fences and, and probably slug 550 pretty easily down there. Just you're going to run into some balls and the ball flies. But um, it, it, so it's more, I think, how guys do it than what they're actually doing, if that makes sense. Um, you know, and I mean, look, over the years, this is the 30th year of the league. I've sent more than, I think, I don't know the exact numbers, more than 3,000 players to the big leagues. It's a crazy number. Yeah. More than 60% of the guys down there play in the big leagues. And you'll see guys who are in the league now who will be in the big leagues next year. Like I haven't done a real deep dive into playoff rosters, but I know Bryson Stott. We saw Bryson Stott in the fall league last year and he looked really good. And now he's playing. I guess he's already hit today, Um, but uh, he's playing for the Phillies in the NLCS. I remember you know, your Cody Bellinger set the national league record for home runs for by rookie. Cody Bellinger was in the fall league, the league before. Um, So you will see players who are in the fall league, like it's not just you're seeing future big leaguers, you're seeing guys who will be in the big leagues next year making an impact. You know, like Brendan Donovan for the Cardinals. The Cardinals had a bunch of guys, Brendan Donovan, Juan Yepes, Nolan Gorman, all played in the big, Andre Pallante. There's four guys off the top of my head who are part of a playoff team um, who were all in the fall league last year. Um, so that's that's kind of the fun part of it. You'll, you'll see a lot of these guys pretty quick. And you get to go to Arizona. It's not like you got to go to the middle of nowhere where <laughs> some of these things in other sports are. You know, it's, it's forty six like- right now in Chicago. It's forty six <laughs> right now in Chicago. So believe me, I will not be upset when I have to go back to Arizona. <laughs> it's like my NBA buddies that go, you know what? The summer league in Vegas, it's not a bad deal. Not a bad deal whatsoever. Uh, did you get a chance to see Lawrence Butler or Denzel Clark while you're down there? You know, I, I, I don't think I saw them play. Like, it's it's weird, too, because the way they have these large rosters, not everybody plays every day. Yeah. If I did, I saw them play once. They didn't make an impression. I mean, they're both interesting guys. I mean, Butler was hurt, but I think he's one of the better – hurt this year. But he's one of the better hitter, better young hitters in the A system. I think he's got a chance to hit for some power and average. And, and Clark's, like, great athlete, you know, got Olympic relatives. He's cousin of the Naylor brothers in Cleveland. Um, he looked great at the combine when I saw him last year. Um, a guy who who just needs more reps, but he's he's. I'm trying to think. He might be the best athlete in the system. I'm trying to think if there's anybody better. But no, it's like I w- I was down there for six days and I saw nine or ten games, but I was just kind of bouncing around. And it feels like if I saw those guys, I just saw him play once. I feel like I saw Geloff play two or three times. You know, we always like to look at the rankings, right? We'll see our top thirty on MLB.com, and everybody's ranking their – how much should we at this point pay attention to that? How much does that really matter? Whether someone ranks us, are you 28th? Are you 17th? I mean, I've always looked at Houston's. Uh, they don't have the yep. strongest ratings, but they just keep bringing up guys that keep beating us. Yeah. Well, I mean, Houston has four pitchers in their starting rotation. We're signed internationally, I think for less than 150,000 combined. They aren't even arbitration eligible and they're all good. And I do our Astros list. And I joke with those guys about all time. Like when the rankings come out, the, the, the farm system rankings are probably the least meaningful rankings. I always joke that 
the one prospects are like kids. Everybody loves their kids more than anybody else does. <laughs> and then my other joke is that when you do farm system rankings, one team's like, man, you got it just right. You got us right. And 29 and other teams are like, Hey, you ranked us too low. And then whenever we do the farm system rankings and like, like they're not mean about it and, and they and deservedly so, but the Astros always be like, Hey, are we going to rank 30th again? How's the third? You know? And I'm like, yeah, I know. I know. And you guys are in the ALCS for the sixth year in a row. And, but like, it's weird, but like at the same time, like those rankings are the hardest rankings to do. Cause you think about it, you're each or farm system has like 200 players at different levels. And you're saying, okay, who has the best talent? Like looking at 200 players at a time in 30 different organizations. And while it's an impossible task at the same time, I do think ownership on a lot of teams looks at that. And I've heard, I feel bad when like I hear from somebody who's like, well, you know, you ranked us 24th and the owner came down and asked what we're doing, but I don't, I mean, we do them because fans love them. You know, we did them at baseball America. I don't think farm system rankings matter that much, to be honest with you. I mean, the other thing I'd say about them too, I think you can, we can identify, and I've been doing this for 30 years. I can identify three, four, five systems that are like the top systems. And I can identify three, four, five systems that are the bottom systems. And then the other 20 or so systems, you could try divide into two halves, but like, to be able to say with pinpoint accuracy, this team's the fifth best farm system. This team's the 10th. Nobody's that good. Like if we were that good, I'd be making millions of dollars working for a team. If I, if I could pinpoint it that accurately. So, I mean, I think it gives you a rough idea, but that's really what it is more than anything. It's a rough idea where your system ranks. It's not precise by any means. Well, everybody loves their kids, but you may favor one over the other sometimes. <laughs> True, true. <laughs> I have four kids. I guess I shouldn't say that, but they're all adults now. So. Yeah. Well, I, I have twins, so they're, they're identical. So it's like the, almost the same kid in a lot of ways. Uh, let's end on this. How do you view the strength of where the A system is and how close do you think really think some of these guys are at uh, helping us at the big league level? Yeah, I mean, I, I, still, I still think it's a couple years away. I mean – you know, it's tough for the A's. I mean, with the stadium situation, they don't spend on payroll. Like you were saying, you know, you, they'll have these cycles where they'll go to the playoffs for two or three years. And then they kind of have to, like we saw this offseason, decide, okay, we can't afford these guys anymore. We got to trade them away and then build it back up. You know, the, the tricky thing for them has been a lot of their best prospects through the years have come via trades. It's not like they, they I mean, and it's hard to crush it in the draft every year, but I'd say they're kind of, ordinary draft results so like when they make trades they really need to hit on guys i mean we we saw ken waldachuk get there this year um i like ken waldachuk i think he's a little unheralded i think tyler saw like shay langleers got there this year i really like shay langleers i think having shay langleers makes it easier to let tyler soderstrom do what he does best which is hit and it's always tough when you have a really offensive-minded catcher like tyler was where if you catch him it detracts from his hitting because of the time you have to devote to catching and then the physical toll. So I think they're going to get more out of Tyler Soderstrom's bat. You know, I think the big question for the A's is I don't think their system's particularly deep. Um, and you don't have, you know, Tyler Soderstrom's a good prospect. Shea Langleyers is a good prospect. Ken Walchuk's a good prospect, but you don't have that, you know, Gunnar Henderson, Corbin Carroll, Francisco Alvarez, Anthony Volpe, you know, top, top of the top 100 prospect where you're like, okay, we're going to build around that guy. You have some pieces where you're like, okay, these guys can be part of a winning team, but
but I don't know if you really have like that superstar nucleus of that, that winning team in place. So I think they're still going to be in search of that. You know, I mean, they picked 18th this year and they got 18th or 19th. They got Daniel Susak and I like Daniel Susak, but when you're picking 18th or 19th, you're not getting that elite elite guy at the top of the draft. And like, I guess we won't know until the winter meetings where they're going to pick next year. Cause I'm trying to think I'm looking here at the standings. What they have the second worst second record worst in baseball. Record. We got, six, but there's a draft lottery. Yeah. 60.5% chance. Yeah. But so I, I think, I don't think they can pick any lower than eighth, but um, so they'll be in position. They should get a pretty good player next year, but that, but I think that's the biggest challenge right now is they have some good players. I don't know if they have any great players in their farm system. So Julio Rodriguez is not walking through that door for us. No, they don't have a Julio Rodriguez or a Bobby Wood Jr. <laughs> or an Adley Rutschman yeah. hiding out. But, like, next year, I mean, let's say they get to pick at the top. You, you'll get a Dylan Cruz from LSU. He's an outfielder. Or Chase Dollander from Tennessee is a right-hander. You know, if I mean, it would stink if you're an A's fan if they don't if they do poorly in the lottery. Um, you know, they could wind up with the number one pick. They could wind up with the number eight pick. But we'll have to see. But at least they'll be in position – there's a good chance whoever they draft with their first round pick next year will probably could very well be the best prospect in their system. Hey, well, we got the draft right. We drafted the starting quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals. We got that right. You, you know what though? I, I I don't blame them for that pick. I, I think they take more grief for that pick than they deserve. We have I, fun I, with I, it. Cause, cause here's why I'm not saying he would have been this guy, but people love Kyler Murray had not played baseball much going into his draft year. He had played a little bit the year before. He went to the Cape Cod League. And he, he like, as he started to play, leaps and bounds. I'm not saying he would have been this guy. I had, a, I had a scout with another team that thought about taking him in the first round. They picked a couple picks behind the A's, compared him to Ricky Henderson. He thought he could be a Ricky. And now I'm not saying he would have been Ricky Henderson. But the guy, like I heard Andrew McCutcheon, super, super talented player. And what people don't remember was when they drafted Kyler, Kyler – had only played a couple games at AM. He'd sat on the bench at Oklahoma, I think behind Baker Mayfield. Correct. And he was small. And nobody was talking about him as an NFL quarterback. People were like, he'll probably be pretty good in that Lincoln Riley offense there at Oklahoma. But nobody was talking about him at draft time, like, oh, you're going to lose this guy at the NFL draft. Like, there was concern because out of high school, he pulled himself out of the baseball draft. Football was clearly his first love. But realistically, looking at it, it was like, this guy could be a star in baseball. And he's too small, like like NFL guys. Nobody was talking about him going into that season, so I don't, I don't blame the A's. I, I do think it was crazy at the winter meetings that year, which I think were in San Diego, but I don't remember right. Scott Boris telling everybody, "Oh no, he's going to go to spring training," and I was listening to that thinking, the Kyler Murray. Not that I know him well, but that I remember covering him when he was in high school. Loves football. He's about to win the Heisman Trophy. He's going to get it. No, I didn't know he was going to go number one in the NFL draft. Yeah. He was going to go in the first round. That guy's gone because he loves football. And, and Boris was telling everybody at the winter meetings, oh, no, he'll be in spring training. At that point, he was gone. But I, I really, maybe I'm in the minority, but I think they took a chance at a guy who could have been a, a transcendent talent, possibly. And at the time, nobody thought he was going to the NFL because they're like, he's too small. Oh, I remember when we drafted him, and I'm the one that interviews all the draft picks, and he and I are standing eye to eye, and I'm like, how does this guy play quarterback? And then at the same time, I was also working for the Oakland Raiders, so we played him a couple times, and it is it is amazing the success he has had at his size. When you got They light, don't square him up. 
When you got nobody ever hit, nobody ever squares him up. He he just doesn't get hit. I know, and he and he has trouble, but he has trouble seeing the field. It's amazing because yeah. his linemen are six five, six six. He's my size five ten. I mean, it, it's unreal. But uh, hey, always appreciate your time. We'll let you get back to this game. Means a lot that you stop by during this game. So we truly appreciate it. You're the best at what you do. Keep doing it, and we'll be following it. Obviously. Well, thanks for all the kind words, and it's four to one. I, I've missed some action here. I'll get back to that, but uh, always good talking to you, and uh, take care, guys. Thanks. See ya. Thank you. Yeah, Jim Callis, uh, uh, he is the best covering the minor leagues. Raleigh Fingers, you could make a case. Maybe we'll throw this on Himbo. I know he's sitting in the background. Yeah, he's waiting. Can I, can I at least yeah, get yeah. the damn guest out? Yeah. <laughs> uh is Raleigh Fingers the greatest reliever of all time? When you look at the numbers and you look at the volume, we shall ask. Eno Saris, our national baseball columnist from The Athletic, will be here at 3 o'clock. And then our ace historian and, of course, does the great work for NBC, Bay Area, for the Pac-12 Network, and an official score in Major League Baseball, the great Dave Feldman. But what a day it is. Our man Paul Himbikides. Himbo from ESPN, but more importantly, a Phillies fan. And I got to think, riding high. How are you, my friend? Never been better in my life. My, my, <laughs> my baby girls were born like seven weeks ago, okay? Since then, they know, they know no such thing as losing. The, the Eagles haven't lost a game yet. Yeah. Right? The Phillies are, are three wins away from the World Series. James Harden, it appears to me, has eaten multiple salads this summer. He looks spry. And the Flyers are winning games. Like this, my, my girls have brought good luck to the city of Philadelphia. I don't ever recall an instance in which all of my teams were this good at the same time. Man, when you're when 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 you got it rolling, you just ride the streak. And when I think about how things are going there in Philadelphia, as you mentioned, football undefeated, but you've you've been at the ballpark for these playoff games. Talk about the the energy. They, they say it's like a nightclub in between innings. Everybody's dancing in the stands. Nobody can hear each other talk because it's so loud and crazy. What is it like in a, at a Philadelphia Phillies game right now? It is incomparable. And I don't mean to subject you guys to hyperbole, but I mean this when I say this. I have had the opportunity, largely because of my job, to attend some of the best and coolest sporting events of the last 10 years. Like I w- I've been to college football national championship games. I've been to NBA finals games. I was in the building for game three of the 2016 World Series at Wrigley, the first World Series game the Cubs had hosted since 1945. And I mean this when I say this. I have never in my life heard a louder, more guttural exclamation than I did than when Reese Hoskins hit a home run in game three against the Braves and Gronk spiked his bat. At that time, I have been to dozens of punk rock concerts. Never have my ears heard anything like what I heard in that ballpark that day. I always, or often I should say, get annoyed when the broadcasters will often cite like the crowd and getting the crowd into it and the impact and all that stuff. Generally, I find that to be somewhat nauseating. I can tell you definitively that it made a difference in that game and has made a difference in Philadelphia this postseason. I mean, they're chanting DUI at Marcelo Zuna. They're irreverently <laughs> doing the tomahawk chop. All right, there are – Ronald Acuna forgot how to play right field in, in game four of that series. Like, I think there have been – like, there has been an impact on winning. The Citizens Bank Park crowd has been unbelievable, and I expect it to play a factor in game three, four, and five as well. Joe Musgrove says he likes pitching on the road in the hostile environment. He likes it than better. He likes it better than pitching 
at home. Are you buying it? Sure. I mean, we, we saw we saw him shove against the Mets at City Field so much so that Buck Showalter felt the need to examine that man's ears uh, in between innings, which was ridiculous, steadfastly ridiculous. Well, look, Joe Musgrove is shoving right now. I don't care if he's pitching in San Diego, in Philadelphia, or in Timbuktu. Right now, he is one of the toughest outs in all of baseball when you get the two strikes against him. Over his last five games, 32 strikeouts against five hits when he gets the two strike counts. He has been money. His stuff is vicious. And he has a massive advantage over Ranger Suarez in game three of the series. I'm hoping what the Phillies can do, and this is not a strategy I generally uh, think is worth employing in the playoffs, but I hope the Phillies try and chase him early. Like Generally speaking, I like in the playoffs because these bullpens are so good. Attack first pitch against the starters. Like That's probably your best shot, but not against Joe Musgrove. If they can chase him by the fifth inning, I like the Phillies in game three. If not, I think it's going to be a long day at the ball yard. Now, I have to think, do you have the that that's what's it from KUA morning show? in San Diego. KOSI is one of the local stations in San Diego that they played this bit. It went absolutely right. I want, did you hear this? Play it for me. All right. San Diego. Let's do this. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Philly going down to yellow and brown. That's what's in. Padres on the loose. Let's go, Goose. That's what's in. Bryce gonna lose, and Manny's gonna cruise. That's what's in. All right, I can't, I can't. Give Philly no slack and send them back. That's what's in. I mean, this is like seven or eight grown men I immediately had a reaction because, as you know, I'm from San Diego. I texted this video to all of my 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 brother, my buddies, and I said, this is the exact reason why this town is so soft and has never won anything. And the fact that the producers of this morning show and of this station think it's cute. They think it's funny. And you're like, that's why you never win, because you're soft and you actually think that's good. Uh, I have two comments, the first of which is I'm actually really impressed that they were able to cobble all eight Padres fans together and be able to do that. <laughs> I mean, that, was, that was a, a remarkable – I, mean, I, I, yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's a tough spot. So congratulations on being able to aggregate all those people and get them in the same spot. Secondly, the Phillies have a much better song, and I'll sing it for you. And it goes like this. No one likes us. No one likes us. No one likes us. We don't care. We're from Philly. Mm-mm, Philly. No one likes us. We don't care. At least it's a real freaking song. I just, I, you can't lose, you can't lose to a town that thinks that's good. You just can't, <laughs> out, of pri- out, of, out of like professional pride, you can't lose. By the way, switching over to the uh, ALCS, can we officially say the Yankees are done? Yes, I, I predicted before the series began that the Yankees would be swept. I, I see Ooh. no obvious reason to believe that they won't be. Did swept. you, did, I mean, they're, did you say that on the shows on ESPN? I not only said that on the shows on ESPN, I wielded a, a broom. I held a broom over my right shoulder. You can go to my Twitter feed. I held a broom over my right shoulder on the shows the last couple of days because I feel so strongly that the Astros are going to overpower the Yankees. Their only hope is that Garrett Cole pitches out of his freaking mind in game three, which in fairness, he is very capable of doing. Garrett Cole has sort of quietly proven to be a big game pitcher. For some reason, he's the kind of pitcher for whom we only notice when he doesn't live up to expectations. But generally speaking, in the playoffs, yeah. 
especially with the Yankees, he's been good. Like, he truly has been very good. But I don't really see a path to winning for them unless he shoves and can probably do so again later in the series. I have a remarkable number to demonstrate how much the Astros are owning the Yankees right now. Okay, there have been, in the history of Major League Baseball, actually, I went back to, I went back to 1901 to pull this note. 19, we're going 1901. Where were you in 1901? Uh, my grandmother, who died five years ago, wasn't even born yet. Wow. All right. 1901. Okay. So this is how far back we got to go in order to contextualize how bad the Yankees are right now against the Houston Astros. There have been 24,620 instances in which one team has played another at least seven times in the season. 24,620. There is only, however, one instance in which one team hit below 150 in that season series. And that, my friend... New York Yankees against the Houston Astros this year. They're hitting 148 across nine games against Astros pitching this year. Hashtag. Wow. You know, I remember back in the day, the Eagles and the Giants had a a ferocious rivalry. Obviously, we have seen Yankees, Phillies in a World Series in 09, but they hardly play each other. Uh, I couldn't even tell you Knicks and Sixers. Jesus, it's been so long since either one have been relevant. Uh, hockey, no clue. Like, what is the – because you're not far from each other. You're a train ride away. What is the rivalry of just two bitter cities when you look at New York? Well, New York, you got all the boroughs. But Philly, New York, only Jersey between you. What is the rivalry like? I can tell you that the team that we hate the most in Philadelphia – is the Dallas Cowboys. It is truly an Eagles town, and the hatred directed at the Dallas Cowboys twice a year is unbelievable. Like I can tell you for sure, there is nothing else close. I mean, there have been times in which, you know, Phillies fans have extra hated the Mets, and there have been times in which Sixers fans have extra hated the Celtics, but generally speaking, it's the Cowboys. And yeah. as it relates to the Yankees and the Astros, with all due respect to the Yankees, Hammer and Nail don't have a rivalry. They have a relationship. <laughs> and the Astros <laughs> have been the Hammer, and the Yankees have been the nail since 2017. And I'm afraid to say to all my buddies that root for the Yankees, I think this is their last real chance at winning a championship. I truly mean that. There's a, obviously, there's much more than a non-zero chance that Aaron Judge does not come back. I think there's probably – it's probably more likely than not that he doesn't resign there. And what else are you getting excited about on that team? Like, they, they're not filled with young talent. They don't have a lineup that's ready to take over if he leaves. They don't have good young pitching in the organization. Their bullpen is scattershot. They're going to be a little bit challenged financially because they've made some serious long-term commitments. I see the Rays as a player development behemoth. I see the Blue Jays with a bunch of good young talent on that team. The Orioles just improved more than any club in the sport with the lowest payroll in it. And the Red Sox were in the ALCS last year. This to, The Yankees' championship window is closing, and it's closing fast. I just had to go to our A's cast live koozie here to mm-hmm. get out a pen because I needed to write down October 21st, 2022. It's been predicted. The Yankees are done. I love it. <laughs> hey, Himbo, when we were there in uh, June and getting our ass handed to us and everybody's like, oh, the Yankees are the greatest team ever. I made a live prediction on this program. The Yankees would not be in the World Series. I predicted that. I'm going to be right. But your prediction is even bigger and bolder. The Yankee dynasty, 24 playoff appearances in 28 years is about to die, and you're making that proc- uh, proclamation October 21st, 2022. I love it. 
Here's the deal, bro. Here's the deal. I, love I picked it. the Yankees to miss the playoffs before the season began because what I saw was a team that had a lineup that left a lot to be desired. And it was my theory at the time, obviously incorrectly, that in the American League East, that just was not going to fly. And then we saw them play historically good baseball in the first half of the season. And we saw Aaron Judge turn into Babe Ruth for a year. Like, these are things that are not going to be duplicated. They're just not. Aaron Judge accounted for 10 wins by himself this season. And he carried that lineup in the second half when no one could hit a lick. What's left there? Like, if you're a Yankees fan, truly, what are you excited about? Are you excited about one of the Peraza's? Are you excited about Anthony Volpe, who was too good, apparently, to trade for Luis Castillo? Are you excited about the Aaron Hickses and DJ LeMahews and Josh Donaldson and other journeyman players that can catch a little bit but can't hit a lick? Are you excited about the seven years, excuse me, the five years left on Garrett Cole's contract? About Nestor Cortez and Luis Severino? Like, what are you excited about? I just want to know. I just want to know why you should feel good about heading into your future in an absolutely stacked division. The only, the only way this could be better if you were wearing a LeBron James jersey. <laughs> with, 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 with uh, which team though with which lebron james team uh i would probably go yeah would you go miami heat would you go laker mm. would you go old school Cavs? akron what would you i'd go Cavs because he's gonna go back there when he's done with the lakers so i mean we all know what's coming right like lebron's going back yes. to cleveland again I don't, with Bron- I with to... with brawny the rebuild the the cavaliers for the land yes it'll be for the, the land the chance to to steal a championship from Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell and Evan Mobley and all the guys that actually have built that program. I can see it. Okay. Very interesting. I don't know how it would go down the way you look at a Shohei Otani trade. Uh, Obviously he wasn't thrilled with this year. Resigned obviously for one more year, big bucks. But when you're trading Otani, you're trading an extreme amount of international money that you make as an organization. So there's just no apples to apples trading someone like this because of the amount of revenue he brings in from Japan, the amount of money you make off of him in this this country. So I know you're thinking about a Shohei Otani trade. How does it go down? And when I think of all the the stuff just beyond talking about how many players am I going to get for him? Here's how it goes down. If you're running the Angels – call a meeting with Shohei Otani and his representation, and you put a blank check on the table. The hope is that Shohei Otani will sign that piece of paper to guarantee you that he'll play for you and no one else for the rest of his career. All right, that's the objective, because I agree with you. Trading Otani is far beyond the what kind of like qu- uh, quantitative value does he provide you in between the lines, obviously. I mean, he is an international phenomenon. But well, well, you, you a- know what it'd be like if Fox Sports came and wanted to take you, Hembo? ESPN can't let that go. That's a direct comp. I mean, obviously, I'm the unicorn over here. Yes. So I, <laughs> not only could I not pitch, I couldn't hit a lick. I'm, I'm a, a meager researcher. But however you choose to slice it, you offer him a blank check and see if he'll sign it. If he doesn't sign it, you have to trade him. Frankly, this is the time to do it. Because Shohei Otani is coming off of two unicorn-like seasons that, in all candor, he's very unlikely to ever duplicate. What Shohei Otani has just done is something that no one ever thought could be done, including Babe Ruth. You play college ball. I play college ball. Not even a college coach would let you do what what Joe Madden and Nevin let him do. Like, that's just not a thing. Not a thing that can happen. And so if you're able to trade him after having these two historic seasons, you're going to get a Herschel Walker-type return. And if you're the Angels, at least from a baseball standpoint, that's exactly what you need. Your farm system has nothing. 
you've had one of the worst systems in baseball now for the better part of a decade. And your big league club has two people that matter. It's Trout and Otani. But if he's not going to resign there, what you darn sure can't do is let him walk for nothing or try and trade him at the deadline. That would be really messy. I thought the, the, the Juan Soto thing at the deadline this year was really messy. I understand the logic of bringing him back and getting four more, four more months of Otani. But I'd be afraid with how much he puts his body through. I want to trade him while he's healthy and while his value is at an absolute premium. Any ideas on who would be that team? Yes. I think the Mets are going to be number one in line, and I'll tell you why. One, the Mets would immediately be able to give him the contract that he would want. The Mets have no, would have no problem giving him half a bill, like legit half a bill. Yeah. And secondly, there's a pre-existing relationship there with Billy Epler, which to my understanding is pretty strong. Yeah. He brought him obviously from Japan to Los Angeles. That is the number one destination for Otani. Look, there's no team in baseball that would not at least make the phone call. But if you're asking me to handicap the thing, I would say the Mets are number one. Not only would the Angels theoretically feel comfortable trading him to, uh, to the National League, but there's obviously a relationship there with Billy Epler that would make the communication so much easier. And frankly, after the embarrassing uh, end of that season, it's the kind of thing that Steve Cohen needs. Like Steve Cohen, we know, thinks like a fan, tweets like a fan, but he has billions of dollars. Like he's willing to foot that bill. That to me is absolutely the number one destination for Shohei Otani, whether it be via trade right now or in free agency a year from now. Aaron Judge, you mentioned, you know, we got people out here who think, oh, he for sure is going to the Giants. What do you think? Let's say, and let's hope to God. Well, I want you to be right on that sweep, but I don't want a team to sit and wait for the NLCS. So have the NLCS be over quick. Have this be a sweep so we have a good World Series. Because we know when teams sit and wait, it just ends up going bad, right? And I want to have a good World Series. But – Whatever. Let's say Yankees go down, they lose. Aaron Judge is a free agent. You buy that he could come out west and that he could leave Absolutely. New York? Yeah? Absolutely. Dude, if, if Aaron Judge was committed to the Yankees, Aaron Judge would have committed to the Yankees. Like, this is not rocket surgery, okay? Aaron Judge was offered a massive contract before the season began, a contract that everyone I talked to around the industry believed was market value. It wasn't embarrassing. Now, it turned out to be embarrassing that the Yankees leaked that number, and Aaron Judge went on to hit 62 home runs. Like, it was definitely a stroke of bad luck there. I think that – if Aaron Judge is anything like me, I would have been pissed off all year that the Yankees tried to embarrass me, and in turn, I did the opposite. Aaron Judge has demonstrated through his words and his actions that he is in no way interested in giving the Yankees a hometown discount. So that has been established. So then the question is, will the Yankees outpay everyone else? Will the Yankees pay more money for Aaron Judge than anyone else would? My answer to that question is no, and I'll tell you why. Because the way that the Yankees operate is, even though they spend a lot of money, Cashman doesn't get enough credit, if you will, for being shrewd. Like, they don't do crazy stuff the way that the old boss did, the way that George Steinbrenner did. Yeah. And if their number said a year ago that seven for 213 and a half was what he would be worth over the next seven years, Aaron Judge hitting 62 home runs in a contract year is not going to fundamentally change that math. And if that's how they're doing the analysis and not looking at the big picture in terms of how we can market the guy and how we can impact the game and how we have the face of the league and all that stuff, if they're not looking at it that way, then Aaron Judge is going to walk. And he's going to sign with the Giants or another team that has a greedy owner who wants to pray him away from New York City. The reason I think the Giants are the leader in the clubhouse is because they have enormous financial flexibility and because he obviously has ties there. They can run the same play that they ran with Barry Bonds, and that obviously worked out extraordinarily well. I think the Yankees are still the leader in the clubhouse, but they're no longer the odds-on favorite. I think the San Francisco Giants are the team that he is likeliest to go to should he leave the Yankees. And now all of a sudden we're going to have a uh, another fancy – free agent market for all these shortstops and there's a team that just got knocked out 
in Los Angeles that desperately needs a shortstop, free agent market's going to be interesting. It's going to be hot. It's going to be really, really hot because there's going to be – I mean, there are four nine-figure sh- uh, shortstops, and there are at least half a dozen teams that could use them. Now, I don't – I understand why we loop them all together. To be clear, it's Correa, Bogarts, Trey Turner, and Dansby Swanson. I understand why we group them together. They're all shortstops. They're all free agents. But I can't for the life of me figure out why we're equating the four of them because that's not how I see it. I think Carlos Correa is far and away the best shortstop on the free agent market. That guy's a freaking Hall of Fame talent. The other's a really good player. Carlos Correa could find himself in the Hall of Fame in 15 years. I truly mean that. He is, he is first of all, he's the youngest among them, which is the most important thing that you should care about when you're investing a nine-figure contract in someone. He is going to stay at shortstop the longest, I'm confident, based upon his defensive metrics and his movement abilities in the infield, that he, you can get at least three-plus years at, um, at shortstop from him and probably five at least league average years at shortstop from him. It's a premium bat. When you look at all the, the stat cast stuff, the profile is delicious. And the fact that he just hit in that ballpark should, would be uh, awfully encouraging. And I really like the way his, uh, his mind works. You listen, uh, watch him on the TBS broadcast, the stuff he's saying in between games. Like, yeah. He has a really, really good approach at the plate and has a really good um, sort of analytical mindset when it comes to his swing and his approach. And that's the kind of thing that I really care about. Now, Bogarts and Turner and, and Swanson are all great players in their own right. But this is a player who at this point in his career has more than 30 offensive war and 10 defensive war. The only other shortstops that have been able to say that through this point in their careers are Ripken, Yount, and Cronin. They all wound up in the Hall of Fame. To me, this guy is that kind of good. I just want to check this because I know I got my fact checker to my right who, who would check me in a second. My only problem with him, you love everything about him, and I do agree with you. Uh, TV career, if he wants it, he'll make so much money he doesn't need it. But, you know, you do have to love – like these super guy, these guys have made so much money they don't need to do this anymore. As long as they have to show up for FS1 or they got to show up for TBS, they can have like this little mini TV career. I love it. My problem with Correa is, uh, you mentioned Ripken. He is no Cal Ripken. Like they, they, no Cal Ripken. Oh, for sure. Uh, I mean, Cal Ripken, in my judgment, is the best. Well, and I don't mean stats. Years. What I mean by games played. This guy, this guy doesn't ring as we like to ring the bell in Philly, right? Don't we ring the bell? Uh, we do. He doesn't ring the bell as much as I would like for a guy his age. I agree with that. If there's one blemish in his resume, it's the fact that he gets hurt too often. You and know, that's he, why I think he gets hurt a getting a massage, he... right? He gets hurt getting a massage. He gets. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying. Sure. Just yes, saying. I get it. Look, there, there is no perfect player, aside from Mike Trout for a while, of course. There's no perfect player. But I will say this. Like, if I'm going to sign someone to that kind of money, there's one thing they got to know. They got to know, are you going to be great? And Carlos Correa yeah. is great. He, put, he averages about eight war for every 162 games he played. Carlos Correa is great. And while I do agree with you, I, I'm, I am at least mildly worried about that body. I also know for sure that if for some reason he continues to accumulate lower body injuries, I can move him to third base. He can put on 10 or 15 pounds of lower body muscle, and he can turn into Manny Machado. And if that's the baseline of the player that I'm signing – I'll take that 100 times out of 100. How is Manny Machado not up for a gold glove? <laughs> that but, was an oversight, an egregious oversight. I was like, I was like, watch that. I was like, what is that? Did, this guy literally is one of the better shortstops in the game right now. Yeah, he is. He's a stud. He's a star. I don't get it. To me, there's there's credible evidence out there that he could be the MVP of the league. Yes. I think Brian Hayes should win the gold glove in the National League at third base. But Manny Machado should obviously have been a finalist. That was a bizarre omission. The gold glove thing has really never been my thing. 
I like I, I think there's plenty of value in saying like players that accumulate many of them aside from Derek Jeter were all pretty good at their positions. But it seems like for all the data that we have now, this should be pretty straightforward. Great shots fired on the New York Yankees today on this program. This might be one of my favorite shows of all time. Um, all right. No, well, I, I, need to, I need to double back on that because you opened the door. The notion that Derek Jeter was a good shortstop is steadfastly ridiculous. And the fact that Derek Jeter is credited for being one of the greatest shortstops of all time is only true because he was a really good hitter and played there also. But we have, beyond any reasonable doubt, enormous piles of data that say that Derek Jeter is the worst shortstop Derek Jeter has fewer defensive runs ever than any shortstop ever. They've been tracking that since 2003. Baseball Reference has a formula by which they can do that by running numbers uh, a variety of ways going back forever. And he's the worst ever, ever by their standard of measure. <laughs> We're not talking about a player that was like passable at shortstop. That you know, like that on a, like, and, and all the Yankee writers would always say like, yeah, but w- show me a play where it cost him, and then they'll show you the flip play and the play where he ran into the stands. And like, I'm not suggesting that he didn't make impactful plays on the diamond. I'm saying that Derek Jeter cost his team way more runs on defense than he created, and it doesn't overshadow the fact that he's one of the best hitters of all time. But to say that he's one of the greatest shortstops ever based on that fact is steadfastly ridiculous. It's like literally just saying something completely untrue and debunked, and I don't understand why people still can't get that. Are you going to the game tonight? No. I was offered tickets uh, to a few different games, but as you know, my, I have two. I have twin girls at home. They're yes. seven weeks old. So getting to the game last week was took, took took the Lord's work. I decided not to even try to pop that door open this time around. And honestly, it was such an unbelievable experience. The game three at the ballpark last weekend. That like I want that to be the the lasting memory that I have. And if the Phillies do wind up in the World Series, then I will definitely reconsider. But that was such a magical day that I don't want to do anything that could even potentially defile it. Uh, the only reason why I say is because Oakland A great. Matt Stairs is throwing out the first pitch. I hadn't seen that. Yeah, Stairs. Softball. Jonathan Broxton is one of the most chilling swings I have ever seen on a baseball field. The way that ball climbed so deep into those bleachers out there was so wonderful to see as a Phillies fan. I'll just never forget that swing for as long as I live. When, when, when do we get to – when's your book come? When do we get to promote the book? Well, I texted you guys that uh, Greeny and I have, have co-authored – this book entitled Got Your Number. It is uh, a book with 100 essays, uh, one through 100. We have identified which player, which athlete, which coach, which fill in the blank, owns every number in sports, one through 100. We announced it a few weeks ago. It's coming out in April. It's an awful long time between the two. But either way, it'll give us a lot of chance for pre-orders, to promote the thing, to do interviews, do all sorts of cool stuff. When, when can we start doing pre-orders? available now on Amazon or wherever you get your books. I'm saying if I want something for Christmas, this is what I want for Christmas. Is that what you, oh, hold on. I'm actually in a, in, a, in a room right now. You guys can see me. Where they sent me this ridiculous poster. Hold on. Just give me one second. No this problem. This is good TV. We okay. want to, we want to, so, we want to, we, we, we got to start selling some books for this man. So, like, <laughs> they gave me, like, this massive poster, like, with, and, like, you can see my name in small script beneath his. Like, it, this thing is, this thing is three feet tall. So, I, I don't know. Uh, my wife probably won't let me hang this in the, in the nursery. Oh, Maybe come I can on. Find a different place in the man cave. Yes. But, uh, yes. Uh, New York Times bestselling author and ESPN person, I, Mike Greenberg, with Paul Hembo Hembakita. So, like I always tell people, uh, if you want to make it in this industry, 
just be an average researcher, have some famous person give you a nickname, and you'll be all set. <laughs> so I want to show you yeah, from one poster to another. Wow. I love that for you. This is what we had in the seats during the COVID when we put – we couldn't have people in the stands, so they put all of our pictures in the seats. <laughs> Those were the days. So, so seriously, put it out there so our fans can start buying. So you can go to my Twitter feed, at Paul Hembo. And uh, at the top of it, I uh, have posted a link, I pasted a link to the Disney Books site. I can tell you, like, no matter what, you know, sport is your favorite. Um, if you're a baseball fan, obviously you're listening to the show because you're a baseball fan. There are dozens of baseball essays that you are going to love, especially if you're an old-timey fan of the sport who goes back years and years and years, who loves the numbers, who loves the records, who sort of loves these debates you're going to love it. Like you're absolutely going to love what we came up with. Now, obviously some of our decisions will have to be controversial. There are many great athletes that wore number 32 and 34 and 21 and seven and any number of numbers. And that's part of the fun, but there's a lot of really, really good baseball essays that I'm really proud of in that book. That's for sure. So you're going to appreciate this. When I was a young man, uh, I got my handicap in golf. My, I was down to a six and I was, I was starting to, I was in the, I was a 70s player, playing from the back tips. Wherever I played, I could go out. I was going to be in a range. I, I was swinging it. And then my kids were born. And I just, like, literally stopped playing golf. And a lot of people couldn't understand it. You now, a father of twins, where you go from zero kids to two kids, People just don't under like 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 you said you got to go to one Phillies playoff game and you're like I'm good I got like people don't understand two kids at one time two babies at one time it's always diapers and it's feeding and it's diapers people don't understand how your life just so dramatically changes golf like the the idea of me playing golf right now is insane like I have forgotten to drink water I have like <laughs> I have never in my life forgotten to eat. I've forgotten multiple occasions that I'm hungry. Like, you can't think about golf. Like, I would love for that to – I'll, I'll love to cross that bridge. I'm guessing that'll be something like 18 years from now. Uh, like it's To me, like, a vacation is if I'm allowed to go outside and mow the grass like I did yesterday. You're going to hour mow the lawn, did some leaf work, you know, like the general Jersey stuff over here. Like, that was considered a vacation for me. So the idea of playing golf is something on the back burner for sure. Well, the number one thing, and you'll love it, I, I, I got a picture somewhere of one of my twin girls. She had to be like – Three years old, she can barely pick it up. I just smoked dinosaur beef ribs, and the rib was way bigger than her head. And she's like trying <laughs> to bite it. Yeah, my kids have been eating barbecue since they were born. Himbo, start them early. They need to know the Traeger lifestyle from the very beginning. Yeah, no, we're gonna have to get the girls one of the most portable ones that you can like do in the dorm room because that's that's gonna be it's gonna be a way of life. Like this is this is this is how it's gonna be. There is going like the first thing that they're allowed to eat. I mean, like, I, I'm, I'm going to be, like, the bad dad that, like, you know, gives their – like, when, when my wife's away, like, at the grocery store, we're doing something. Like, they're going to be eating, like, pork, ribs, yes. brisket, like, yeah. like when they're three. Uh, they're going to be salted out of their mind. But, look, I mean, this is what I love. This is what you're going to love, too, yeah. darn it. Yeah, damn it. And this is how it works in this household. Uh, congratulations on the kids. Congratulations on the book. Good luck to your Phillies. And hopefully we're doing this soon and we're talking World Series in Philadelphia. I love it, man. We're gonna se- hey, we're gonna sell some books for you. Trust me. You're a good man. Take care. Hey, when's the other book coming out with all the ba- the top 100 or whatever it is? That information I don't have yet. 
That information I will have fairly soon. So stay tuned. Be well, my friend. Peace. The great Paul Himbakides, better known as Himbo. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Raleigh, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Raleigh Fingers, welcome back to A's Cast Live. He's a three-time World Series champion, a seven-time All-Star, the American League MVP and Cy Young Award in 1981, World Series MVP in 74, four-time Rolades Relief Man of the Year, three-time MLB Save Leader, and, of course, in the Baseball Hall of Fame, the A's Hall of Fame, and his number 34 is retired. Raleigh, it's always great to have you on the program. Thank you. It's nice to be. <laughs> uh, today on this date is when you guys finally finished the Mets in the World Series in 1973. When you think about that seven-game set, what do you think about? Well, we, uh, we were kind of down three games to two coming back to Oakland. We didn't play real good ball in New York uh, uh, in that series, and we won one game and lost two. But um, we came back home, and we got some great pitching from uh, uh, Catfish and Holtzman, and, um, and uh, we won the, the, two, the two ball games here in, in, or in Oakland at the time. So uh, that, uh, that was our second world championship. So uh, that was fun, but uh, – it was a, it was a tougher series, I think, because uh, uh, the the Mets had a real good pitching staff. They had Tom Seaver, uh, John Matlack, and Jerry Kuzman, and uh, a couple t- uh, tough left-handers and a power pitcher. And uh, uh, we we knew we had our hands full against those guys. But uh, I think the one mistake I think that uh, Yogi Berra made was uh, pitching Tom Seaver in Game Six uh, on two on two days rest. I think he should have given him that extra day. Uh, and and held him back for a game seven that might have been a different story. I mean to but, think um, of to think about doing that like now we freak out if anyone's thinking about going on three days rest. The fact that basically no rest with your star pitcher is just unheard of. Yeah, well, you know, uh, I think uh, I think Yogi wanted to end it in Oakland in game six, and uh, he just guessed wrong. <laughs> so uh, I'm glad I'm glad it worked out the way it did. <laughs> You know, when you guys think back, and it's one of the great things when we get you guys together, when, when, when you look back, just talk about the mindset, you know, the coming from Kansas City to Oakland, you know, you first started tasting it in 71, you end up taking down Cincinnati in 72, but then you went back-to-back in 73. What is that mindset now that, hey, we're just not this fluke team we got one year. We've won it two years in a row. Yeah, well, we we knew we had a good ball. Yeah, we knew we had a good ball club. Uh, and you know, every, back then, all of us guys came up through the minor leagues together. We had a nucleus of about thirteen or fourteen guys that we played together for a lot of years in the minor leagues. And we all hit the big leagues right around the same time, sixty-eight. 69 and then we played together for two or three years and uh, we knew what to expect and we had some great talent i mean we had some guys who were made we had i think one year we had like five 
or six guys, maybe even seven guys on the all-star team. And uh, we just had some great talent. And uh, uh, if we would have, if Charlie Finley would have kept us together, uh, I think we could have gone on to win maybe two, maybe three more world championships because we were right in the middle of our prime uh, when we, we were 28, 29, 30 years old, and we'd already had three world championships under our belt. And uh, we were playing good. We had a great pitching staff, uh, solid in the bullpen, uh, home run hitters, RBI guys that drive in RBIs. I mean, we had a good, solid team. And uh, Charlie just let that all get away because he didn't want to pay us. And that was a shame. You know, one of the things that we never really get into is how you got to the World Series and the fact that you guys had a lot of legendary battles with the Baltimore Orioles, and they had their Hall of Famers, they had their great players, they had their great manager in 73. Uh, you had to get through them, and that wasn't any day at the beach either. <laughs> no. No, it wasn't. They had, I mean, they're looking at two teams with two great pitching staffs. I mean, they have Palmer and uh, Mike Cuellar and Dave McNally, and I think Pat Dobson was there. Uh, so they had some great starting pitching, and their offense was always tough with uh, Brooks Robinson, Frank Robinson, Paul Blair, uh, and Boog Powell, Andy Etcheberry. I mean, they were they were one of those kind of teams that uh, you knew they were going to be uh, in the in the pennant race towards the end of the season, and it just so happened that we had to run. We ran into those guys twice in '73 uh, and in '74, and uh, we were lucky to take care of both of them. Well, no disrespect to the Mets, but they weren't even close as good as the Baltimore Orioles were. <laughs> no, but they had a pitching staff. That no. pitching is what it's a short series. Uh, anything can happen. I mean, anything can happen in the short. I mean, that's proof right now with the uh, San Diego Padres. I mean, uh, you know, they have one of the worst records, and they go into into New York and beat the Mets, and uh, and then they play the Dodgers, and they beat the Dodgers, and you know, they got a good pitching staff. They got a great bullpen. I mean, that's what it is today is bullpen. Uh, most teams want to have that lead by the fifth inning. If they have that lead by the fifth inning. They figure they're going to win with the bullpen because nowadays you've got you got six or seven guys down in the bullpen on every on every team that are throwing the ball 95, 96, 97 miles an hour. Uh, you know, back when I was playing, you're lucky if you had one guy like that. So the bullpens have really changed in the past, but the pitching is where it's at. You have a good pitching staff. Whoever goes into the series with the better better pitching staff, the one that's more healthy. That's the team that's going to win. Well, Ray Fossey would always tell us in the 74 World Series, the bullpen was you. You had starters and you. <laughs> yeah, I was the only guy, I think, that came in out of yeah. the pen that year. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, it was just the starters and you. That's all you guys needed. I think we only used four, four or five pitchers in the whole series. So, you know, it's, it's a little different. Now, you use four or five pitchers in the whole game, in one game right now. It's a little different. I know. It, so. it, it, I mean, it, it's it, it's actually tough to watch, and I know everybody just calls this old school, but to watch a starting pitcher go four innings, five innings, and then you have a a law firm of relievers who have to come in. Uh, that, that 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 that's just tough sledding. But you know, thinking about seventy three, you know, when I looked at the Mets, you know, when we went back during COVID and we started airing some of these games. Uh, what was it like when you're preparing for a 42-year-old Willie Mays? 
<laughs> well, I grew up. I grew up idolizing Willie. In fact, uh, uh, when I was a kid, he was my first autograph I got when I was a kid. Really? At, at a Dodger Stadium, and I chased him down in the parking lot at uh, Chavez Ravine at Dodger Stadium when I was about fourteen, fifteen years old, and I asked him for his autograph, and he gave it to me. And then uh, thirteen years later. Uh, I'm facing him in the World Series, and uh, I'm the last guy to strike him out. Uh, the last hit he got in, the, in a big league uniform, and his last RBI was off of me. <laughs> it was all every, so, last hit, last RBI, last K was all you and Willie Mays. Yep, uh, yeah, in his career. <laughs> wow, that. I told Willie, I told Willie, I said, Willie, and when I went in the Hall of Fame, I told Willie that story, and I said, Willie, it's a good thing you gave me the autograph, or I'd have drilled your ass. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Oh, would but, you... uh, no, there's no way I'm going to hit Willie. <laughs> what is it? He didn't know that. I've actually been back to the – I was there in 99 when George Brett, Nolan Ryan, and Robin Yount went in together and Orlando Cepeda. And just to see there all you guys on the stage, it's just absolutely incredible. And I know you go down to the hotel that's right on the water. Just when you're a baseball Hall of Famer and you go back and you guys get to be around each other, you have the dinners, you have the cocktail parties, you have the ceremonies. Just what is that like to be around the other Hall of Famers when you get around each other one time a year? Uh, oh, it's, it's great. Um, when I, when I first in, went in, I, you know, I, I was more or less a rookie, you know, uh, in, in 92. And when you go into the dinner, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at these guys. I mean, I collected all their baseball cards when I was a kid. Uh, you know, you got, you got Johnny Mize and the Yogi Bear, Whitey Ford, Stan Musial, all these guys, um, uh, Bob Feller, Robin Roberts. I mean, all these guys that you collected cards at, and now you're all of a sudden you're in the room, same room with these guys having dinner. My, it's a little surreal. I mean, I sat down at my first dinner, first dinner we had, I sat at the table. It was all pitchers. It was me, Steve Carlton, uh, uh, Don Sutton, or not Don Sutton. He wasn't there. It was me, Steve Carlton, Bob Gibson, Sandy Koufax, and uh, I think uh, there was one other pitcher there. I can't remember who, but that's who I had dinner with the first. And, you know, I was grew up being a uh, idol for Sandy Koufax. And I'm, you know, I'm just sitting there in awe. And uh, I basically didn't say anything. You don't really say too much. You don't want these guys getting on you. So you, you wait a couple of years, then you can start, then you start popping off a little bit. But <laughs> I didn't say nothing to anybody. It's just, it's just, and just think about that where you are in your life, right? Your career's over. Uh, from a baseball standpoint, it's been five years. I mean, you are one of the best pitchers in the history of the game. You've got you've got everything, right? You've got World Series. You got MVP. You got Cy Young. And here you go into that dinner, and you feel like a kid again, and you feel like a rookie oh, yeah. again when you're one of the most accomplished guys in the history of the game. Yeah, it, it was weird, but you know they they would get on me a little bit. You know, you see, they would say, you know what, you know, Bob Gibson said, you know, you're a relief pitcher. You know, you didn't throw that many innings. And I said, Bob, 
if you had me in the bullpen, you'd have 30 more wins on your resume. Yeah. <laughs> all of all of you guys would have. You know, we have, they didn't have they didn't have relief pitchers back there or like that. We have made the case on this show that you are the greatest relief pitcher of all time. When you look at your volume, the innings, the high leverage innings that you pitched, just kind of teach our younger audience because they've grown up in this world where there's a ninth inning guy and he only comes in. It's you know it's got to be with the lead, maybe tied, gonna pitch one inning. You were someone that pitched a lot of innings. You came up a starter. Just kind of educate our younger listeners what the role like was for you back in the day coming out of the bullpen. Uh, well, it, it all depends on the way the game was going, but usually by the fifth inning, I would start watching what was going on. If we had a one run lead it it looked like, you know, there was a possibility that I might get in. So I might get up in the fifth or the sixth inning and just start soft tossing a little bit just to get my arm loose and not throw hard or anything. But, uh, there were games where I'd come in, uh, see the biggest thing back then is you're coming into ball games with men on base. These guys don't have to do that nowadays. They always start the inning fresh. But with the way starting pitching was back then, starting pitchers wanted complete games. So they wanted to stay in the uh, game as long as they could. And that's why, you know, catfish, I, there were games I'd come in uh, with catfish pitching, and he'd have the bases loaded and uh, nobody out. He wanted to stay in. And you'd have to fight him to get him off the mound. So, uh, you know, back then you were always coming into games in trouble in the sixth inning. Hope you get and hope you get a pop up and a double play, get out of the inning and then finish the game. I mean, I don't know how many four inning saves I had. I have no clue. I know one time I went I went seven innings, seven or eight innings in a game uh, and uh, didn't get the win. (laughs) We didn't score any runs in seven innings. So uh, it was that was the way it was back then. You had to be ready to come in when you were a closer. You, uh, there's nobody warming up in the bullpen. When I came in, there was nobody warming up in the bullpen. I was in there uh, for the whole game. It was either the Casser or the outhouse, one of the two. It was going to be. So uh, you were out there the whole game. Reggie Jackson said when, when, when you came in, it was grab your hat, grab your coat. It was time to go home. Uh, one of the great <laughs> lines that Mr. October has said on this program. You know, when you think about the Oakland Athletics and the way – they celebrate your guys. And you think about Dave Cavill, our president, and you think about everybody when we bring you guys together. I'm always the one that, you know, does the dog and pony show with the questions with the fans and you guys. And it's just always so special to me. What does it mean to you and to your group of guys that the A's want to continue to celebrate you guys and your greatness? Oh, I I love Dave. Uh, Fisher, they're you know they're great baseball fans, and they they realize the history of the A's, and uh, they love having us older generation guys uh, coming back, and we get together uh, just about every year, and we we induct two or three guys from the past into the Oakland A's Hall of Fame, and they're all for it. It's great that they uh, they appreciate the alumni, the guys that played back 30, 40 years ago, and uh, knew how great we were back then. So. Uh, they're they're not only owners but and presidents, but they're fans. And so they enjoy seeing us and inviting us back every year. I think it's great. Well, and, and just also the joy that the fans have 
with you guys sharing that moment together. It just seems so special, the relationship that these fans have with the great teams and then you getting together with really like your brothers. You only get to see these guys so much. So when you guys get together, it's so special. The whole thing's just beautiful. You know, what's so great about it is, like I said before, we all came up through the minor league. And we all, it's not like today where you're, you you sign a three-year contract, you become a free agent, bang, you go off to another team. We played together from 1968 to 1976 together. We had basically the same lineup every year. And uh, we would would bring different guys in when a guy got hurt or something. Uh, uh, You know, we added Billy North to our lineup. We had... We had Matty Alou one year. We had Mike Epstein. Uh, but, you know, we always had Rudy in left and Campy at short, Sal Bando at sh- uh, third, and Dick Green at first, uh, Dave Dunker or Ray Fossey, Gene Tennis catching. I mean, we always basically had the same lineup, and that's, that was what was great about that team. We were a family, and, uh, you know, we had our fights, but, you know, you have, you have fights in any family, <laughs> any family uh, situation. So, uh, but we got over it. You'd be, You'd be fighting with some guy that that day and be out having dinner with him that night. That's just the way that that ball club was. It was fun to play on. Yeah, you guys were brothers, no no doubt about it. And then just how much fun is it with the fans when they get to ask you questions and they they hung on every moment with you guys and they remember every moment of 73 or 72 or 74? Oh, oh, yeah. There's a lot of guys that come up to me who were – uh, you know, they're about 55 right now. And now, you know, that I go back, well, that means you were probably about 10 or 11 or 15 uh, when we were winning in uh, 72, three and four. And when you grow up with a team uh, and they're win and you, you get to know those players, you're never going to forget them. You're never going to forget their numbers. You could, I guarantee you ask an old guy who's a big baseball fan in 72, he could tell you the player and what number they wore in their back. Uh, I was the same way when I was a kid. I was a big Dodger fan, and I could name all the ball players and their and their numbers probably right now, even from back in the '60s. When you grow up with a team and uh, that team is winning uh, and they stay together, you remember them. You remember them uh, uh, your whole life. Uh, my favorite thing is you t- you know looking at Willie Mays. Yeah, you better sign that autograph, or you would have wore one right in your ribs. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'd hit Willie, though. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, let's just end on this. Uh, I know it was years ago, but your guys' greatness and, and, you know, what you went went on to do in in San Diego and then, of course, in Milwaukee was just incredible. But, you know, your time in Oakland, how much do you ever sit around and still think about the greatness that was the A's and your greatness as an Oakland athletic? Oh, it was fun. Uh, you know, you, you always look back and, uh, uh, especially if you, you know, you win or you get a ring, that's what everybody wants is that world series rig. And we had the opportunity to get three of them in a row, which doesn't happen very often. But I mean, we had, uh, we had fun together. I, you know, going to the ballpark, uh, uh, uh you know, we'd have, uh, Ra- some of the Raider players were fans of ours. I was fans of the Raiders. I, during football season, I would, I would drive down to the ballpark on Sunday during football season. I mean, I wasn't playing and I, I just drive into the ballpark because all the parking attendants knew who I was. And I'd just say, Hey, 
I'm going to go down. I'm going to do some working out in the gym and stuff. They let me in. I just walk right out on the field and uh, be on the sidelines for the Raider games on Sunday. I didn't even have to buy a ticket. It was great. Nah. <laughs> but uh, the whole, all of Oakland loved the Raiders and the Oakland A's back in the early 70s. I mean, golly, uh, uh, I loved going to the Raider games. They were fun, too. Well, it is always an honor to have you on the program, and I can't wait this year to celebrate the 73 team Truly one of the great teams and one of the great runs in the history of baseball. You be well throughout the holidays, and then we'll see you next year when we do this celebration. Okay, certainly will. Thank you. I enjoyed being on your show, man. It, uh, it was, it was, you're bringing back memories for me, I'll tell you. It was fun. You're the best, Raleigh. You take care. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.